Aha! You just activated my trap card. That time we woke up in a podcast and had to explain manga. Our heated adventures overanalyzing manga we find interesting. I will put this into defense position and then sacrifice it to summon the over manga cast. Uh, in case it's not obvious, uh, today we are discussing uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! by Kazuki Takahashi. Uh, we read chapters 1 through 40, which uh, gets you about through the Death T arc, in case for some reason you're worried about spoilers for a 25-year-old series. Anyway, I gotta get out of here or else I'm gonna be banished to the Shadow Realm, so go ahead and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, Jay here. So my experience with the Yu-Gi-Oh! series is I'm familiar with, unfortunately, the 4Kids serialization of Yu-Gi-Oh! that made it over, and subsequently, shout out to Little Karibo, the Bridge series. I've heard through the interwebs a lot of rumblings about season zeros of Yu-Gi-Oh! So I kind of got the gist early on of the theme, the somewhat darker theme of Yu-Gi-Oh! And so this in a nutshell, is my first read-through of the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga. And I have watched, I believe, the... I want to say the first and sec maybe second Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, seasons. All right, I'll go next. Hello, everyone. This is Sam. Uh, my experience with Yu-Gi-Oh! is pretty similar to Jay's. I feel like most of us will be able to say the same thing. Uh, I watched the four kids dub back in the day. Uh, I was actually pretty into the card game when it first came out. And I uh, played that a lot with uh, kids at school and it kind of fell into the background for me until I met Jacob. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll go next then. And uh, the palate cleanser. Yu-Gi-Oh! I think it's safe to say that this is my favorite piece of art of all time. This series is a deep, deep love for me. I am intimately familiar with it. The ending makes me cry every time. That's a long way off, so that's all I'll say about it. But I know this series very, very well, and I have always i mean of course i started with the four kids dub too i don't know many english speakers who hadn't but uh finding the manga honestly full-on life-changing the the themes of this series genuinely have touched me for years and i i jump at the chance to read it so <laughs> And finally, uh, Matt here. Uh, my experience with Yu-Gi-Oh! is I watched all of Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, which was pretty cool, and I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to like things. And now that we've gotten that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for the folks at home, we read through uh, the Death T arc. Which, um, for any uh, anyone else who had our pretty much collective experience with Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, shockingly, features only like two games of Duel Monsters. The That card game is not as important to the series as a lot of people think it is, mostly because the card game is the most profitable aspect of it. And I love Duel Monsters, but Yu-Gi-Oh! isn't just a card game series. And um, it's sort of funny... Kazuki Takahashi actually basically wrote the entire series by the seat of his pants, which is why it's 
absolutely stunning to me how well he foreshadows things. Um, but he did not plan for Duel Monsters to be like the main thing that Yu-Gi-Oh was known for. Uh, it came about almost entirely because of the character attached to that game being incredibly popular. Uh, quite rightly, I'd argue, but ya boy Kaiba. <laughs> Everybody loves Kaiba. Yes. But we are not quite there yet. We open up with um with our protagonist, Yugi Moto, the boy of the ultimate anime protagonist hair. <laughs> the hair that every other anime protag has been chasing and will never catch. Everyone else in this series, normal hair. <laughs> Except Yugi. <laughs> Yugi's hair is literally lightning in a bottle because that's what you need to actually get hair to stick up like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're walking down the street. It's like, there's my anime protagonist. Mm-hmm. And like uh, uh, any anime protagonist, we first get introduced to him and he's beaten up by uh, bullies. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. As is tradition. Bullies who uh, who become uh, very well-known characters, uh, Jinochi and Honda. I did appreciate that the translation that we read specifically had little asterisks next to it saying, yeah, this is Joey and Tristan in the show. Yeah. We're not going to call <laughs> them by that. But here, now you understand. In all fairness, Joey is an acceptable translation of Jonichi. I was just going to say, as much as I find it weird and at times irritating like why did they change honda's name why did they change anzu's name if they weren't going to change yugi and kaiba i feel like they didn't change anzu's name just because maybe in the western audience that wouldn't be considered a feminine name you know Mm, i don't know but like like why change honda's name uh if you're not going to change kaiba you know, Kaiba is very foreign sounding. I made a point of when I started reading the manga to actually learn how to pronounce Jinochi correctly. It's not easy for an English speaker. So Joey is a really good and like, you know, it, speaking of like translations and way of conveying the character to an English audience, the whole Brooklyn Rage accent thing honestly <laughs> kind of fits his character. He also still has the accent in the manga. (laughs) Well, because that's I mean, like the the you know, I mean, we all know little Karibo, you know, mentioned previously. He, you know, upped it for the comedy's sake. But like that is a case where because it's like the the four kids translation is the problem like what they changed, what they like, the phrases that they messed with, the things that the guns, they cut out, the guns they edited out, <laughs> pointing Got- menacingly. Um, but the the voices themselves, like I hear the four kids voice actors when I'm reading the manga, you know, it, you know, I sound like Brock from Pokemon. It is like that's that's hilarious, but that's Kaiba's voice to me. You know, that's uh, Dan Green is Yugi to me. Uh, so good with the bad, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing that Jinochi uh, and Honda are bullying our boy Yugi over is his his ultimate treasure, a box or more importantly, what is in the box, the pieces of the Millennium Puzzle. Which uh, it, it it consistently blows me away in this, just how tiny Yugi is. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a trope often referenced. He's so tiny. That box is the size of his entire torso. 
He's like three foot nine and he's supposed to be in high school, which, to be fair, the series does make a point of pointing out and making jokes about. But um, when uh, the the first arc very quickly uh, go uh, introduces the even worse bully character and uh, uh, this is a very uh, villain of the week style manga, at least in the beginning. And, you know, we basically just have to introduce the completely hateable bad guy that will be utterly destroyed in a game later on. Uh, as Yugi, com- uh, Yugi stands up against the even worse bully beating up Genochi and Honda, which, you know, causes the change of heart in Genochi, which I found to be, you know, it, it it's kind of clear that this was planned from the start and it it almost I don't want to say it devalued the bullying scene for me, but um, you kind of know that Genochi at the very least, you know, G- G- that Genochi is going to be a good guy, a yeah. good guy. Yeah, though, that actually that's something that I took note of, because I mean, I've read this a thousand times. I've read it critically. I've read it for pleasure. And one thing that I noticed, because I wanted to read it critically this time as well. One thing I noticed is that um it actually, for a 90s manga, kind of confronts the idea of toxic masculinity because mm-hmm. Jinochi says, and like, it's one of those ones where like, you think at first it's just an excuse for why he's bullying some kid weaker than him. But Jinochi says to Yugi that he, you know, beats up on him and like, you know, like steals the puzzle box and is playing keep away with it to toughen him up. And there are a couple of cases where, you kind of need to punch the bad guy because talking them down is not an option. So Yugi is too soft in his touch at times, whereas Junochi and Honda start off as thugs and Yugi works them down to being much more clever and intelligent um, and, you know, more reasonable people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sort of the idea that like there are bigger bullies and like, you know, Domino city is basically like Japanese Detroit, but worse. So it's like <laughs> the bullies. In oh the my school, God. Yeah. They, they're like, they're like pulling knives on the teachers and stuff. Like it's ridiculous. In all fairness, um, the, the very next episode is about a documentary film crew coming to yeah. Domino city high school. Cause they hear this high school is overrun with bullying, which is true, <laughs> which is true. Yeah, it is. But, uh, before we get to that, we need to talk about, um, Yugi finishing the millennium puzzle because Genochi has his turn of heart and gives back the piece that he, the like final critical piece that he stole and completing the puzzle awakens uh dark yugi or as we love to call him the murder goblin <laughs> i love murder goblin dark <laughs> i yugi. love it but he's officially named yami right no he's officially named dark yugi yami is a four kids thing yami just means darkness in japanese but every decent translation calls him dark yugi yeah that's what i'm trying to do the the translation But yeah, um, but one thing I want to point out is Yugi has had this puzzle for eight years because it is the impossible to put together puzzle. But this puzzle, when we look at it every time we see it, appears to be made out of 16 pieces. Now, I understand you don't want to draw it out, but just judging by how big each piece is and the size of the finished puzzle. It's kind of funny. It's taken him eight years. Obviously, magic shenanigans and Mangaka yeah. doesn't want to draw millions of pieces. I just thought uh-huh. it was funny. 
Yeah. There's also the bit in Yugi's dialogue of, oh, you need to like twist the piece this way, which implies that it's not just, I mean, we know it's a 3D puzzle, so, (laughs) and it's almost certainly not hollow from what we see Yugi use it for later in the series. So he probably had to build it like from the inside out, which would be a headache and a half. Mm. Look, I'll have you know, I got a Yu-Gi-Oh! Millennium Puzzle toy from uh, Taco Bell back in the day, and I put that together in 15 minutes. <laughs> All five pieces. Uh, but it, it does awaken uh, the murder goblin, Dark Yugi. And this is the part where uh, everyone who watched the sanitized four kids version is suddenly slapped in the face of, oh, yeah, all of the murder. Yeah, this is a really dark series. And in fact, uh, Takahashi is like mentioned stuff about like the original origin of the series. It was originally a horror comic and it doesn't really lose that for a long time. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious because um, uh, I, I I noticed immediately um, Yami's uh, design is l- more akin to the puppet from Saw than what he becomes. Like he has no nose. Yeah. And he's got like the constant twisted grin, the wide mm-hmm. staring eyes. He's like a marionette. The amount of times he says, would you like to play a game or something almost identical to that is pretty much identical to Solomon. The Jigsaw, yeah. Yeah, well, Kazuki Takahashi puts in a lot of references to other manga in this. Like, Yugi, Yugi explicitly, before he finishes the Millennium Puzzle, he's like, hopefully it grants wishes like the Dragon Balls. Yeah, I liked that reference. And then uh, in the next chapter, there's a guy whose entire character design is it, 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 he's just Caesar Zappelli from JoJo's. <laughs> you know, it's funny. For so many years, I never like that headband was something that I always noticed, but I I didn't know about JoJo's for the longest time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I recognized it immediately. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> but, yes, um, that was a JoJo's reference. It was a JoJo's reference. Uh, but the thing that really gets me and i know it's the conceit of the of the setting but the amount of these like sadistic murdering assholes uh, (laughs) that uh dark yuki confronts that just agree sure i'll play a game with you (laughs) like none of them really know going in that it's going to be some twisted game that's going to kill them Yeah, and a lot of cases, they're like, sure, kid, I'll humor you before slicing your throat, not realizing that by just saying, "Okay, I'll play the game. It activates the shadow game. The the games are magic. And if you don't follow the rules, you are punished, usually by death. Well, if you don't follow the rules or or if you lose, you get the penalty game. I think it's more if you lose, because they're especially early on. Yami appears to cheat. Ah, <laughs> uh, not as far as I saw. Dice game, he cuts the die in half to win. Yeah. <laughs> but like the guy tried to uh beat him in the face with it. Cool, that wasn't against the rules. <laughs> like and neither is cutting the die in half. Yeah. Most of these games also are a reflection of morality. So I mean, while it might not be against the rules, it's technically not it's not cool to just throw things at people's faces. Yeah. yeah. The games are also supposed I mean, to be like metaphors. Games, yeah. The games are metaphors. And the, and the games, 
appear less to be about like testing anything and more to be a punishment, which is something that actually kind of um, follows through for like the majority of what we read is you never get anything for winning. Losing is a punishment. Yeah. Is the consistent theme. You are punished for losing. You never gain anything by winning. Well, well, by winning, you don't get the punishment. So but they don't know that they don't know what the punishment is. Therefore, they basically agree to this game just because they're like, oh, well, it's just something silly and frivolous anyway. So a lot of the times you can say that a lot of the participants don't even go into it expecting to really win anything. They don't expect to really play. They're just humoring him until they decide to they're bored and they kill him. The other thing is, though, there are some cases where there is incentive for winning. For example, the very first game, uh, a game, the money where stabbing you place, game, the money stabbing game where you place uh, bills on your hand and have to stab a knife into it to try to get as many bills as you can without actually stabbing your hand. That was double the amount of money he was going to give to the bully that was demanding his money luring him into a false sense of if i can just win this one frivolous childish game i'll end up you know I'll with more rich. money than i would have yeah i'll be rich also kind of brings into the fact that shadow games are less about like having an actual contest of skill and more about like punishing things because um Yami wins that contest by the bully suddenly being unable to control the strength of how much he stabs mm-hmm. and that kind of came off to me as more his greed was being tested and he oh, was yeah, psychically that's... forced to stab himself in the hand. But at that point, it's not a contest versus Yami, which is definitely something we get see changed on later on. But like these earlier scenes is very much more. He is like malevolent revenge entity. I yeah. yeah. And this kind of draws on a on a um a theme that I feel like we'll dive deeper into later as the other millennium item is addressed but the millennium item draw more on your psyche your morality than say what is necessarily i know there's a scale but what is Mm -hmm. just so i mean it's not just they're forcing him to be greedy he is greedy that is his primary character trait it is forcing him to express his greed Early, yeah, early yami is less the king of games and more the grudge yeah, he's he's a he is a revenge spirit, very much so. Who definitely kills all the people? <laughs> oh oh yeah. yeah, he kills a lot of people. <laughs> like the guy that plays the money stabbing game, you could reason that he doesn't die because he just starts hallucinating money everywhere. But given the intensity, he's never of the gonna eat. <laughs> yeah, the intensity of the hallucination implies he's never going to like go. He's going to be in a psych ward for the rest of his life. Yeah, they'd have to put him on an IV drip for him to survive, at which point it's a fate worse than death. Plus, it, it's Yu-Gi-Oh! So in order to in order to get into the hospital, he'd probably have to play like a shell game in order to even get a bed. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and with the dice game, the producer that loses the dice game when Yami manages to roll a seven on a six sided die, um, the producer gets uh, his vision pixelated He's effectively blind, and given the way that we, in a Domino City parking garage, there's no way he's not getting run over. Or mugged. 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 That was my first thought. Because as as is established, Domino City has a rampant crime problem, and I don't think we ever see a police officer. No. 
We see a correctional we see a correctional officer get freaking murdered. Yep, that's a thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, con- convict seven seven seven. Irving Street Gangs is their police. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. We have a solution. <laughs> There are police officers in the prison and nowhere else. So the second you get out of prison, you are scot free. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's about uh, right. I, I did enjoy the silence game, if only because I felt I personally hate people who play their stupid music too loud. And yes, I know I'm a hypocrite in this regard. Yeah. But um, just <laughs> seeing that stupid, that stupid jerk in his Elvis costume. <laughs> were you triggered sam i i might have been a little triggered but it was really cathartic seeing him get beaten <laughs> yeah to clarify where. the villain of this game is a another school bully who forces you to come to all night karaoke parties where he cranks the volume on max and does his horrible rock singing uh-huh and he has them wear headphones so he's like he's definitely like destroying people's hearing yeah, and that's that's another one where the penalty game in that one is he has for the rest of his life, he will hear his heartbeat slamming at like a thousand decibels in his ears. He can never go deaf. He will always hear that. He's going to kill himself. Like, uh, yeah, I, I assumed that guy died. died because he is like a writhing pile on the floor when he is left like just. Assume that dude's dead. That's another oh, yeah. body on the pile. He, he's either going to be institutionalized and put in a straitjacket and beg for death or commit Sudoku. So, yeah. Seppuku. I, that was the joke. It does. Yes. <laughs> um, my favorite of the, uh, the, the sort of monster of the week was the next one with Convict 777. Oh, I love this and the one finger game uh, it's in this it's in this one where uh anzu finally gets a uh, uh Taya for the rest for the rest of y'all uh gaijins out there uh she finally gets a bit more of a uh of a starring role other than just being the one that goes you boys stop being mean to yugi other other than being the girl other than being the girl yeah but this is also the part where we learn that uh, Domino City is a is a cesspit. Uh, Domino City High School is a gulag because you're not even allowed to have an after school job without getting expelled. Is that a Japanese thing? I'm assuming this is a public school thing. Yeah. Japanese like private schools, I could see being able to enforce that because they want you to focus obviously on study studying is first and foremost so they don't want you quote unquote getting distracted given what we learned later about Genochi's home life i don't think he's in a private school yeah yeah just the state we see domino city high school in that's definitely an inner city high school which brings yeah. up the really weird question of why kaiba was there but we'll get to that later yeah, <laughs> yeah. this multi-billion billion dollar like gaming corporation why are you in a 16 year old tried like public we, school we will get we will get there <laughs> later because we gotta talk about uh taya's job at the hamburger factory yeah, yeah. the burger joint <laughs> burger <Boy World>. <laughs> yo you we gotta get Boy. Yes. there's like no. no other food in this universe really except for boy apparently yugi really likes hamburgers Yugi's got, he's got a thing for Berg. 
I also get the vibe that Yugi is being a bit of an author insert because uh, I get the very strong opinion that the mangaka is a bit of a, an Americana boo. Because the amount of times America's listed in this manga as such a cool place where all the cool things come from. Yeah. Hanzu's entire dream is to go to America. Go to New York and become a dancer, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which she's going to pay for with a part-time job at a burger joint. But then again, it was the 90s, so maybe. Eh. Nah. No, no, definitely <laughs> yeah. not. We get... Uh, Convict 777, a mass murdering, just generic, super evil criminal with really good luck. Yep, that's right, because he's a convict number 777. And after breaking out of um, high security Domino City Jail, his first thing he wants to do is hold a hamburger restaurant hostage so they will make him a burger. No, 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 no. Not to get a burger. He wants cigarettes and vodka. Yeah, he's been out in the wilderness for like for like days and days. So he's like, damn, I could really go for some smokes and vodka. Not even really food. Mm-hmm. So basically, he holds the entire place up. He has um, Taya sit next to him as his hostage. And because he's like, oh, well, I'm holding the waitress hostage. I need some other loser to go into the kitchen to grab their vodka and smokes, as all good restaurants have in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. So he picks the weakest scrawny kid, which also sets up something real funny because for the longest time, they don't like showing that Yugi has a physical transformation when he transforms. And they kind of just gloss over people seeing that and noticing. But um, Joey is specifically kept out of the loop in this one because when everyone's on the floor, he is specifically behind a really fat guy he can't see around. Yep. So Joey sees none of what goes on. And Anzu's been blindfolded by the convict. Mm-hmm. That's right. So she does not know who the who the let's play a game hero is. But man, he's got a confident, sexy voice and he saved her. So she's like, oh, he must be so handsome. <laughs> she she starts crushing hard for Yami without even knowing who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame her. Which which sets up which sets up the fun. I considered it to be fun anyway. The dramatic irony of Yugi is crushing on Anzu and Anzu is crushing on his alternative Other self, self. Yeah. Which even he is not aware of. You because until Death T concludes, every time Yami comes out, Yugi effectively blacks out and doesn't remember any of this. Which is probably for the best, because then yeah. he has plausible deniability for all the murders. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> because <laughs> the conclusion of this game has someone being immolated. The one finger game is you can only move one finger on your hand, and the convict is holding a gun on Yugi while pouring himself some vodka. And, uh, and he chooses his index finger as the finger he's going to use for the game. Yeah, the, the trick... The trigger finger, yeah. But he's like, I got my smokes. I can't move my hands. And the kid said he's going to use his thumbs. So, hey, kid. He's pouring vodka into a glass. Yeah, so, hey, kid, light my smoke. Okay. And Yami uh, lights the cigarette lighter and then drops it on top of the guy's hand and walks away. Yeah, he places it very carefully on the hand that is pouring the vodka. If he moves in any way... In, including the recoil of the of firing the gun, the lighter will drop and he can't stop pouring the vodka either, because if he stops pouring the vodka, he'll be tilting his hand, which will drop the lighter into the vodka that is now pouring into his lap. And they make a point of noting it's Russian vodka, 90 percent alcohol. <laughs> it's like 180 proof. What the hell? <laughs> 
Why would this be in a burger joint? <laughs> because burger joints have vodka and smokes. We've established they have that. Russian over vodka this. and smokes, not Smirnoff. Yeah, because it's a burger joint. <laughs> it's a burger joint and Domino City. I buy that. Yeah, I, I I just love that. Obviously, the conceit that it's a shadow game, and if he broke the rules, he would have been punished anyway. We we've been over time and time again. The people in shadow games don't really understand they've agreed to. So I don't understand why he didn't just flip the light, attempt to flip the lighter off because clearly he kind of just immediately accepted his fate, burned to death. Uh huh. And burned to death he does oh, because the first start. Go, go ahead, Jacob. Um, the thing about him not like throwing the lighter or something like that, um, part of it is the shock that he somehow lost a game where you can only use one finger and he picked his trigger finger as the finger he's going to use in this game. And he still somehow managed to he would at best tie and still be dead by the end of it. So the shock of that, like he, he drops the cigarette in his mouth and that's what lights it, not the lighter. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the other thing is to some extent, yeah, the shadow game would probably prevent him from like flinging the lighter, but also he's like strung out and not exactly in good condition. If he tried to flick it, it could just as easily just slide off of his hand and light him up anyway. To some extent, he, the shadow game, it's some extent the shock and at some extent that he's in a really bad situation that there's not an easy way out of anyway. You'll at least give me this conceit. Uh, Mangaka was running out of pages, so he needed to wrap up the game. Yes, that is also true. Yeah, so and he gave it the dramatic ending <laughs> it needed. The dramatic ending of the guy burning to death in a burger joint booth, <laughs> which is the first instance because like all the other deaths have been, they, they could conceivably be people randomly going mad or getting in a bad accident. This one is a man, a, a convict who held up a joint burns to death in the most set up Looney Tunes ass way possible. And you know, my favorite part about this is the is the chapter ends with assumedly this guy still smoldering in his seat. Yugi, Taya and Joey just want to go hang out after this. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Domino City. Yep. Hey, some dude just got murdered. Well, let's go someplace else. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if Taya is going to get extra on her paycheck for all of that. No. Well, we know that she works there for a few other months. Yeah, she's still working there before she decides to quit at some point. No, she doesn't quit. No, she, she gets, gets fired. fired. She gets fired. Because she was defending her honor. Yeah. yeah a, cu a customer touched her ass and she punched them and she got fired for that because this is bullshit. And this is the 90s and it, it, yeah. a, a terrible place. It's, it's 90s also, Japan. You don't you don't assault customers is another thing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not saying she's right, but I mean, the context, yeah. you shouldn't be assaulting the waitresses either. Though mm -hmm. That does come up as a uh, important and like totally not convenient plot point later. Mm -hmm. which we'll, get, we'll get there. <laughs> but anyway, yep. next game we have. We have um, one of the one of Yugi's classmates is uh, 
acting as a psychic and you know psychic powers aren't real so yugi points out like the tricks that he's using this is sort of an interesting one because we start to see a little bit of yugi and dark yugi blending into each other because um the psychic says uh thousands of letters will rain down upon you and it will be your end um and Yugi and Dark Yugi both kind of figure out at the same time. And that's like the, the point where Yugi transitions into Dark Yugi that the thousands of letters, he's in a library and the, the, um, his classmate tries to drop a bunch of bookshelves on him. Mm -hmm. That's sort of like the important aspect of that one. This is another game where it's very much the way that Dark Yugi wins is almost entirely because of the magic of the shadow games, because the the classmate is just so wrapped up in his fantasy of being a psychic that the shadow game creates an illusion that makes him think he is actually psychic. Mm -hmm. Uh, This also has. And and I know we're supposed to just accept that Dark Yugi comes out and then Yugi wins. But uh, the thousands of letters raining down on him, the knocking the bookshelves over is the first instance that I can think of where I don't know if Dark Yugi is also supposed to have some sort of superhuman capabilities because he goes through the entire transformation sequence and then still somehow dodges the bookshelves. That's actually something that does come up in the next game, um, which is sort of interesting. One final note about the chloroform Django one. This also this is the second time that we have Anzu being unable to know know who who her savior is because creepy psychic guy chloroforms her. Anzi does have a habit of getting damseled. Yeah, and and so she passes out, but she's still here. So the, the mighty gamer has come to save her again. <laughs> Let's play a game. So then we go into the school festival episode. That's basically just uh, a trope. You got to do at this point. Um, you got to do the school festival, which gets mostly glossed over for manslaughter. But yeah, but anyway, we get the great part of um, Yugi who's normally very shy and people easily speak over him, uh, actually manages to get to pick their festival idea because everyone else is too indecisive to make a decision and they do carnival games and then proceed to make the most elaborate school festival (laughs) with um, a cost of materials to make three separate carnival games (laughs) that I think they say cost about $500, but level of construction they have that's clearly a lie or for some reason domino city money is worth like a lot more in smaller amounts (laughs) because later on we also get money amounts mentioned that are much too small for what they're being asked for but anyway we get the school festival and they get the prime location well, the cool thing, the cool thing about yugi speaking up and saying what he want like his idea for the school festival it's pretty clear, like, that's a moment of character growth. Yugi never would have spoken up before, but because he's made a connection with Anzu, with uh, Jinochi, kind of with Honda. Not really with Honda yet. <laughs> Honda has a redemption arc episode. Later, but, you know, he's because Yugi has started to make friends, he's willing to speak up. And, like, that's that's a nice, subtle bit of character growth to show he's not as meek as he used to be. Yeah, but yeah, we we basically get to the drama of this issue, which is their prime location. Uh, a group of bullies decide, "Hey, we go here every year. 
And I'm like, dude, how long have you guys been in high school? If uh, this is every single year you do this, but it's Domino <laughs> City, probably several years. Yeah, well, they're the senior. They're the senior class, and they're the senior class that look like they're 25. Yeah, how many years have they been the senior class? <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but when my high school class landed on a good act for the spirit for the like school spirit games festival thing, we strung that out. <laughs> as long as we could into our senior year <laughs> then anyway they they take over for a yakisoba stand and put a big old grill and say we'll finish setting it up later where uh, yami reveals for i think the third time his superpower of being able to call people and get them to meet him in uh secluded <laughs> dark spaces because we yes. always just cut to him already transformed with someone saying, hey, you called me on the phone. I guess you had my number. That's a weird thing to get for me. <laughs> but I've decided to meet you. You called me out is specifically what they say. And I interpreted that as like Yami essentially going around and saying this guy is a bitch and, you know, letting the rumor mill take over from there so that they would hear hit, they would hear themselves being called a bitch and go fight him about it. My interpretation has always been he transforms and immediately goes over to the phone book and just looks through the phone book for his <laughs> name and then calls him up, gets his mom on the phone saying, hey, I'm his friend from school. Can you put him on? <laughs> hey, I'm his friend from school. Can he come over to play? <laughs> I want to meet your son in the abandoned park. I want to play a game with him. He will totally be murdered. <laughs> <laughs> Though, to be fair they do express surprise at like yugi calling them out a lot of cases the the things he gets because like he the manga makes a point of pointing out like he does get away with stuff because people are just surprised he has the audacity to even think to do it yeah it's like this little shrimp is calling me out <laughs> okay kid what do you want it's like it's it's like when a chihuahua is barking at you and it's like, uh, yeah. oh, aren't you such a vicious little thing? Yeah. But anyway, we uh, we get to the game, which is basically they turn on the yakisoba grill and put a vial of nitroglycerin inside a puck of ice and play ice hockey with the puck exploding, which isn't yeah. how you play ice hockey. But for the conceit of the game, I guess. Uh, well, the chemical is supposed to be so unstable that it's like the ice, the ice pick will eventually melt on the super hot grill and then it'll hit the heat and blow or they knock it off and the jostling will make it blow. Oh. It's basically a time bomb. And if you either score a goal or if you um, have it over on your opponent's side of the ring, for longer you're less likely to get blown up yeah. um and i and actually i really like this one because this is like the first one that shows yami having actual skill at games instead of just you know winning because the magic said so and the reason is because as vile as that upperclassman was as a person he didn't cheat mm -hmm. he simply used his physical strength to his advantage which is absolutely within the rules yeah the guy was just so strong and even yami couldn't you know keep 
battering back the hockey puck. Uh, I thought that he was just going to like game of attrition it and, you know, do the standoff of, oh, I'll just keep it on my side until it's about to sizzle down. But no, Yami pulls one better. He intentionally uh, starts putting chips in the puck so that when the guy slams it, it cracks in half. And, and blows them up. Yep. And blows them up. And I've, and I, I thought that that was super clever. It took me by surprise. And yeah, the king of games actually being <laughs> super skilled at what he's doing instead of just, instead uh, of just he's, the he's, magic the, win. he's the protagonist. He wins. Yeah. Um, and that actually goes into something that we mentioned before with the idea of whether or not he has superhuman powers. He is he does have magic powers like um, in the very first game when uh, that when his opponent in that game tries to stab him instead of the money, he leaps sky high and the guy points out that like, how did you do that? That's like full on superhuman. And it's the magic of the shadow games when the um when someone cheats, you know, it gives him supernatural powers to, you know, punish them and not let them get away with it. Whereas in the, in the case of this game, because his opponent didn't cheat, he had scrawny Yugi's body. Dark Yugi couldn't, you know, beat him. MacGuffin his way out of it. Yeah. And then we we get the guy. He explodes. We get another <laughs> confirmed body count. Yeah, he, he, um, he never gets investigated. How about that? <laughs> he explodes. At, man, living in a pre nine eleven world in this <laughs> manga, because there is an explosion on a school ground that results in severe maiming, probably death, and the school festival just goes on the next day. <laughs> Nobody even cares. I guess the other members of his gang must have come and picked up that yakisoba grill because it was established no one in Yugi's class was strong enough to move it. That's yeah. why it stayed there. So like he might have been because the only reason he doesn't take a swing at the guys was because he was trapped in one of the he was stuck in a barrel. Yeah. All right. So where were we? We had just finished um, <laughs> the guy getting blown up. We finished with the sports festival. Mm-hmm. School festival, yes. Uh, I, and looking forward further in the manga, because I don't think any of us want to talk about the next game. It's pretty lame. It is. It is the actual worst chapter of the entire. I, series. I will summarize it just because I laughed. At, this is this is clearly someone writing something for a deadline and not caring about yeah. it because the mm-hmm. plot is well. Actually, this is Honda's redemption arc where he finally asks Yugi. People remember Honda as a character for the first time uh, because he has not been seen since the beginning. And he has asked Yugi for help confessing to a girl called Ribbons, uh, his crush for her. Oh, yellow ribbons. Which they decide the best way to do that is the way Yugi's grandpa um, got his grandmother to notice him, which is a blank puzzle where you write your confessions on. This puzzle is then put in a box snuck into the girl's desk and unfortunately a teacher who is a hot woman who gets just off on um like people wanting her but being distant um is upset that a date didn't go well so she decides to take it out on everyone in class apparently she's known for expelling people at the drop of a hat because it's a domino city they probably deserved it 
and basically she does a desk inspection, finds the box, goes, ah, well, dating's against the rules. I guess I'm going to have to expel you unless the boy who did it wants to admit to it. And then we get a I am Spartacus moment between Yugi, Joey, and Tristan all standing up going like, I did it, I did it, I did it. It's true. All three of them worked in tandem to do it. They all did work together to do this. I did legitimately enjoy that moment. I must say, for how bad this chapter is, I liked that moment. But the problem is that's such a good moment because at this point we've spent 75% of the page account <laughs> establishing that. And I know what you're thinking. We haven't even talked about what the shadow game for this chapter is going to be. That's because this woman puts together this puzzle in like <laughs> three seconds, except for the last bits that was signed uh, is assigned Honda's name that would reveal that he's the one who left the message and he would get expelled. She apparently solves puzzles the way a computer would from left to right up down. But that's neither here nor there. And so basically I know I detected Yugi transforms in the middle of class. No one notices this. It's never explained why, because I think this very, very much rushed and he goes i challenge you to a shadow game he doesn't even say anything he does not even challenge her it's all in his head he just transforms he he doesn't even say he challenges her he just says by the power of the millennium puzzle i make this a shadow game it's so dumb it breaks every rule I don't think there were any rules. I think this just establishes that uh, Yami Yugi early part of the series was just a little murder goblin that cursed people who didn't play his games right. And this chapter confirms it because he straight up just curses this woman because she solves the puzzle. But that was the wrong thing to do. And by winning, she has her makeup turned into puzzle pieces and it falls off and she is cursed to never be able to hide her true face again. She's just always this snarling witch. Yeah. He just uses his Millennium Puzzle to curse a woman for winning the game he challenged her to. Yeah. And I love it. It's never spoken of again. And nobody was sad about that. And then the girl doesn't uh, even accept Hannah's proposal for a date. Yep. She could do better. Honestly, yes. Yeah, yes. Yes, she can. I don't need to be caught up in their shenanigans. You're not even a main character in your manga. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, like the griddle ice hockey is like kind of the final moment where we see murder goblin Yami, because it, as that chapter demonstrates, uh, the line is really beginning to blur between the two of them. Like Yugi has gained some of Yami's confidence and Yami's, you know, edges have been sanded down a little bit by what a what a little cinnamon roll Yugi is. At this point, basically, he's calling off being in control with enough time for Yugi to call the ambulance for whoever is lethally injured to maybe make it to the hospital. Which we see in the next game, the lair of the scorpion. And like with a lot of these next games, I get the strong feeling an editor finally stepped in and go and <laughs> Hey, maybe we can tone down on all the murders in our shonen manga. <laughs> yeah. After this, we get a lot of like um, after he wins the game. And this is why I say editor and not his decision, because the explanation for why the giant full page spread of the murder then gets explained away in a tiny panel the next time. Like, by the way, I don't think he's actually dead. Feels very 
very much like he didn't want to put it there, yeah. but he's making a concession. He's he's obligated mm-hmm. to not have the main character slaughter every third person he meets. But yeah, yeah, uh, Sam, you were saying um, we were going to talk about the story that's basically Macklemore's wings. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> that is that is completely true. Random note: um, I actually have been playing a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh games, and I noticed. <laughs> They actually draw Jinochi with the sneakers from this chapter from this really chapter. consistently, like in uh, other material. Do you think that's part of their America boo? Like Americans wear sneakers. Americans eat burgers. Oh it, God, it, it is, it, isn't it? It yeah. absolutely is some of the America boo ness because the, the obsession with sneakers, the <laughs> the incredibly rare muscle sh- air muscle shoes because we can't call them Air Jordans. We don't we don't have enough money for that license. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Joey wants some slick new Jordans. And the fact that Hanasaki's father also is America, businessman, mm-hmm. you know, America, America, America. Yeah, th- there's a lot of West Billing going on here. But um, they go to a sleazy back alley dealer in- <laughs> who's got a scorpion motif in order to get these uh, shoes for Genochi. And they like pass a homeless guy. And I just like I, I every time I see the panel of Yugi asking, is it safe here? My response is you're in the Domino City limits. Of course, it's not safe, Yugi. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, th- this chapter had an interesting little subversion to start off with because we get a game right away. It's the sleazy sh- uh, shop owner being like, I only sell these shoes to people who have the guts for it. I'm going to put a scorpion in the shoe. And if you are brave enough to put your foot in, then you're worthy of being able to buy them. And the scorpion's fake. The scorpion's real. He he has a pet. He has a pet scorpion. Oh, yeah, he doesn't put the scorpion in the shoe, but oh, maybe I misread it. I thought he had two scorpions, a fake one and a real I, one. I, Oh, maybe he does, actually, because one thing that's interesting, I have the original um, the 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 first printed English translation, like official English translation. And I've noticed there are a couple of difference differences between the one that's on the Shonen Jump website and um, my copy. So um, you pass. I didn't I didn't really put a scorpion in. I was just testing you. So ah. actually, it's kind of vague how he words it. It could either be that he had a fake scorpion or he just didn't put it in the sneaker. Why would he have a fake scorpion if he had I mean, a real one and he just did not put anything in the shoe? For the aesthetic. For the aesthetic. He does. He I don't think you understand, Jay. Neck. People in America got murdered for these sneakers. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I got that. People still to this day, unfortunately, get murdered for, I'm going to say it, dumb shit. Mm-hmm. It is true. It is true. Um, stealing sneakers, shanking people over she- over sneakers, all that. Shanking people over Popeye sandwiches. Yep. All oh, of no, that. I dated the episode. <laughs> 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 it's fine it's fine but um yeah this is another one where um like it's sort of it's sort of like this is a 90s manga and one of the things i noticed is like like it's sort of it's not exactly like pro jinochi for like risking his life over shoes you know and yet at the same time 
you kind of need to go out and and like the guys who actually steal the shoes from him you're not going to talk to them you know like there's this there's this bit where um Jinochi and Honda say to Yugi this isn't really your thing you stay behind we're going to go get the shoes back and that's how they find out that um the the guy who owns the shop had actually he's running a scam running a scam where he'll steal he'll sell people shoes at a markup, then steal the shoes back and give a cut to the people who stole them by hiring thugs. Yeah. You know, Yugi goes along to help them with like, he doesn't throw any punches, but you know, they, they find the people and they, they beat the information they need out of them because there's no talking to those people. And like the other, the other alternative is murder goblin coming out and that's not a good idea. (laughs) Can we just slowly focus on a moment? He pays, these entire gang of people like 15 bucks that they then split between six people to mug people for him no no they 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 split it between six people to go to the arcade the point is they split a they split a pitiful amount of money to basically commit uh armed robbery on the daily in order to pay for the <laughs> their trips to the arcade which does kind of retroactively explain why people uh go along with what uh y- with yami's bs in the early manga in the early chapters of let's play a game because apparently all of domino city is obscenely incest with gaming <laughs> it's it, it's uh i mean like i've always described it as it's detroit in japan but worse mm-hmm. i feel like the gaming thing is also just endemic to 90s you know the whole all the fighting games that were out i mean street fighter come on 90s was really the booming time for the gaming industry so see mortal Kombat really made kids violent i mean it does (laughs) but i also can't kick your belt in it so fight me in mortal Kombat. (laughs) (laughs) that's not the point of this episode um okay um this is actually one of the best uh, game as metaphor moments because the the reason why the shop the sneaker shop owner loses is because he doesn't value the sneakers he doesn't value the the scorpion he tries to stab them both and misses the scorpion and that's why he loses like that's a very clear example of like that's not even shadow magic testing his heart and finding him unworthy. You know, that's something that like could actually real life happen. And that's one of the cool things I like about a lot of early Yu-Gi-Oh is any of the games in this manga. But like a lot of the table games, you could actually do them. You know, mm-hmm. the guy also falls Always for loved the, about early Yu-Gi-Oh. The guy also falls for the classic, you know, how to catch a monkey trap, except instead of nuts in a jar, it's coins in a shoe. Because the game is there's a bunch of there's a scorpion now now a very live and very deadly scorpion in one of the shoes and a number of coins and the game is reach in snag a coin. But there's a there's a live scorpion in the shoe and there are coins in the shoe and the game is they take turns reaching in and plucking coins out and whoever has the most coins at the end or, you know, is the one who doesn't get stung is the winner and the the greedy shop owner uh dumbass that he is he 
reaches in and just grabs a fistful of coins. But now since he's made a fist, he can't get his hand out of the shoe without severely jostling it and startling the scorpion, which is at, at the point he does the stabbing the shoe thing that Jacob mentioned. And all he would have to do is just let go of the stupid coins and he could get his hand out. But no, <laughs> he doesn't value the sneakers that he claims to value. He doesn't value the scorpion. He claims to value he is a just pure expression of greed Mm -hmm. all he cares about is the money he lost because he didn't value the heart of the sneakers yes (laughs) oh we'll get to that Mm -hmm. the fact that literally the sneakers were just a means for money Mm -hmm. called hard cash i mean he's a he's a store owner (laughs) yeah store owners should work for free obviously yeah. Well, well, okay. It's it's less that it's more of the fact that he's running a racket of assaulting people in order to keep reselling the same shoes. That's the problem. It's not a store owner trying to make money. That is not the that is not the evil being vanquished here. Are you sure we're not really deconstructing Yu-Gi-Oh as a metaphor for capitalism? <laughs> <laughs> Let's play a game of economics. My favorite piece of Marxist literature, Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> <laughs> All transactions should be settled by games. <laughs> if you don't win poker, you don't get to eat this week. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that oh. sounds like something that would happen in Domino City. <laughs> it, it actually does. Anyway, this ends in murder. Well, this is the instance of the softening air quotes of everything because Yugi calls the ambulance on the guy. Dark Yugi goes away in time for Yugi, Yugi, Yugi to call an ambulance for him. Mm-hmm. So maybe he lives. Maybe. But it's at this point that we finally get to the moment you've all been waiting for. The cards with teeth. The game. What a what a terrible name for this chapter. I love that <laughs> name. The cards with teeth. <laughs> I love that name. But yeah, so basically we get a full big panel spread of Yugi's grandpa showing off uh, all these cards from America. That is a very popular game over there um, that people sell their houses for rare cards. And Yugi, Yugi feels the need to chime in with like, there's a very small Japanese audience as well. And no one pays attention to that comment, which is perfect Yugi. <laughs> it's basically the opposite of what happened in real life yeah what we get is um we get introduced to Dwayne, which especially at this stage seems to be blatantly like a magic the gathering reference which considering it's being mentioned as a two-part game makes a lot of sense but <laughs> yeah it's a very 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 rough prototype of what the game would ultimately become yeah there's only 2000 hit points which i didn't or 2000 life points yeah there's i think consistently even at the show it turns to 3000 at some point no, doesn't it, it? it starts off in in duelist kingdom it's 2000 and battle city it's 4000 um uh, and then the real world rule book rules which are oddly more unbalanced than the manga somehow uh have 8000 i don't believe that's possible <laughs> <laughs> Just, <no. laughs> interesting note though um uh, in my uh, original physical copy, uh, Duel Monsters was not the original name for the game. And uh, even more so a Magic the Gathering reference, the original name, gee, why did they change it, is Magic and Wizards. Oh, I wonder why. 
Yeah, no, that's that's copyright infringement right there. <laughs> so, yeah, that got changed pretty quickly. The literal second time that this particular card game comes up, it has already been changed to, to dual monsters. So mm-hmm. that was a very quick change. But this is the part where we are introduced to the thing that everyone recognizes, because literally everyone who is listening to this uh, podcast right now has seen episode one of the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime. We get... Uh, the, we get Grandpa's chocolatey amazing supercard, the blue eyes white dragon. Kaiba shows up and tries to buy it for obscene amounts of money or an obscene amount of traded cards. And then uh, Kaiba steals the blue eyes and we have to duel for it. And that's the interesting thing, because a lot of people actually know the fight from Death T, not this particular battle, which is one of the reasons why some of Yu-Gi-Oh's adaptations have been super frustrating. The fact that the game plays out the way that it does with um, the Blue Eyes White Dragon, because it is Sugoroku's card, not Kaiba's, it refuses to attack Yugi. And it's a shadow game where the ma- where the magic that the cards represent are physically, literally real. So the Blue Eyes White Dragon is just not going to attack, you know, its owner's uh, grandson. That is is a critical plot point that keeps coming up over and over again all the way to the end of the series and it's like it's such a it's such a good moment when it gets paid off later on and like again he was writing it by the seat of his pants and yet he foreshadowed one of the biggest like you know arc climaxes with this moment in volume two yes yeah Six of one, half a dozen of the other. But um, there's also there's also another aspect of Kaiba is also way more inclined to cheat early on. Kaiba is a horror manga antagonist in this oh, first iteration. Yeah, he very much is. In this first iteration, he is very unrecognizable to the character he becomes with a lot of these characters get serious redesigns. Kaiba is especially weak nerdy kid who also really hates people in the back of class like that's a trope in horror manga he fits to a t which makes it super weird that it's then revealed he has billions of dollars and is a ceo (laughs) because he's just hanging out in high school in their inner city class and then never shows up again because at the end of this um yugi teaches him what death feels like Uh uh-huh he he puts him in the world of of dual monsters, magic and wizards. And uh, in that world, he tells Kaiba that you will experience death, which is probably the point where he stops being being a card. Um, but the other thing that's sort of interesting about like Kaiba then versus Kaiba, like the character he becomes is. And this is something that like whenever I read, you know, death, he Kaiba and cards with teeth Kaiba. One of the things that I notice is. Kaiba's false face is something that he completely sheds after death T. He is so good at faking liking you that he can convince you after the last time he tried to murder you. Oh, no, that was just, you know, that that was a misunderstanding. That's not the Kaiba that people know. That's not the Kaiba. Like, that's not the character he becomes later. And when we get into death T, we can talk about why that is. But it's sort of interesting that like. The fake smile is so alien to the famous version of Kaiba. Yeah, I I want to hear um, Jay and Matt's take on just the the duel in Cards with Teeth, because I know when I read it, uh, 
this is my first time actually reading the Cards with Teeth chapter. So mm-hmm. I knew Yugi was going to pull through. I <laughs> I didn't expect the blue eyes to literally be like, I wanna. <laughs> <laughs> Which you yeah. know, I enjoy I enjoyed it for what it was, but it, it seemed like such a departure from what the rest of the manga was, right up until Kaiba yeah. was Right up yeah. until Kaiba was banished to become a card and tormented yeah, by monsters. It's kind of like there's so much darkness, so much darkness, so much people, so so much, you know, people either dying or suffering horribly, suffering some kind of severe life changing punishment. And then out of nothing, oh, there is, you know, some ray of light, some ray of sunshine. He was saved because, you know, this bond of loyalty to grandpa was you know honored whereas previously you know the the environment of domino city kind of gives you the impression that no one values bonds you have to look out for yourself and you know you have to be a lone wolf kind of type kind of thing but mm-hmm. i feel and this could be you know, to preface this this could be me drawing on my previous experience with the anime that you know it is all about the heart of the cards. I mean, the heart of the cards was one of the phrases that was like drilled into your head. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that's kind of why it was, it was, I can see the dis, the disposition there, but I feel like I was, this was more expected than perhaps, I guess, just because I was familiar with the heart of the cards concept. My interpretation of this is, um, I, I had been feeling at my read through at this point, uh, I mentioned earlier, I I was getting strong indications that um, the author wanted to write a very different story. But admittedly, I don't think he was super good at that. He's he strikes me as a creative that definitely needs someone to come in and hone him down sometimes. And I think what happened was I don't disagree with he had an editor come in and go, hey, you're killing too many people. You. I've got a really dark manga. I really wish you could lighten it up just slightly because we need to sell this to a demographic and it's not, I would imagine maybe he was not, not doing well or some early numbers and was told lighten it up a bit. And then we get this chapter and an earlier one where, and what's following for where characters just kind of say the word friendship at each other, which was previously Yugi's character trait, but Strictly becomes like this magic ideal that grants superpowers because the heart of the cards is mentioned in this, but it means something different to what the anime turns it into. The heart of the cards is this card is meaningful to Yugi's grandpa because it was given to him by his friend. It has sentimental value. That is the heart of the card. The, the power that helps Yugi in this battle is his grandpa's friendship saves him because friendship is the ultimate power and the fact that that's the key point in here strikes me as someone told you to lighten up your like vengeful revenge fantasy manga basically against i got bullied in high school here's how i'm getting back at them with what if we make it more positive at points and then we get oh yeah he wins by friendship and then him to existential torture instead of death like also, that's yeah. another thing is Kaiba's fate reads to me as someone who got a rough draft of Yugi killing this dude after saying friendship in a tournament and his editor just going like, can you just make the death a metaphor, please? 
<laughs> I keep talking to you about all the murder. Fine, he'll know what death is like, but he'll still be alive. Okay. He'll experience death, but live. Which uh, I would argue is even worse. I, I also feel like the structure of this game was a lot better than some of the other like ad hoc games he'd done before, because I think a lot of the detriment to him was he either had to spend a good chunk of the chapter explaining what the game was, or he had to rush the explanation, which kind of led to the game not being thoroughly explained. So it kind of was less of that and more. And that's why I feel like the card game and capsule monsters we see letter better are a much better fit for the type of story he wants to tell because he gets to avoid having to explain it each time they show up. He gets to just do the thing he clearly likes, which is, but what if there was a secret trick to the rules of the game? Yeah. And that's actually something that's always been the double-edged sword for me personally with Yu-Gi-Oh! I love the card game. I love the card game as metaphor for like the themes of the story and everything. But I also love the table games. But there is the problem that you've only got so many pages to go through it all. And it is just easier to tell the story using the card game because everyone knows the rules every chapter going in. You don't have to explain them. I think it was the right decision to focus as heavily on the card game as it did. But a part of me does miss the table games like the other table games, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah. Prior to this, and I suppose I should have mentioned this at the top of the show, but prior to this, my experience with the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga was reading Yu-Gi-Oh! R, at which point Duel Monsters was the was the established thing that just always happened. So getting to see the the various ad hoc games was super interesting. And like I said, my favorite one was the uh, was the uh, Gretel Ice Hockey. So. Yeah, I, I understand where uh, where you're coming from on this, Matt, and also Jake. So I kind of <laughs> share a mix of those two opinions. We get um, a bit more of the table games in the next two. Uh, the hidden bomb game, which is the classic of uh, as our friend turned back to the dark side yeah. with with Genochi. We get we get some backstory for Genochi, and that's actually something that like I. I guess I paid more attention to Genochi in this particular read because I kind of forgot how much I loved how much of a lovable dork he is. Yeah. Being a D-boy, he's kind of a bit of a dork. Yeah, he's great. Um, but we learn that, you know, he comes from this really poor background and this abusive father figure and the alcohol bottles. Uh -huh. That's all we see of him. Yep, and that's all we need to see. <laughs> And we, we also get a bit of backstory for Honda in this because um, we learned that uh, Honda and Genochi, before they ran together, that uh, Genochi was in a gang with a different school. And Genochi ends up back with the previous gang for a short time. Uh, but the morality he's learned being Yugi's friend means he can't just sit back and, you know, watch the dickery that these guys are committing and so ends up getting tortured in a warehouse which there's there's that whole revenge fantasy thing a bunch of people get electrocuted they do live <laughs> though and then we get the other amazing thing where the millennium puzzle just randomly gets magic powers for plotsons because uh, yugi psychically knows where joey is through the millennium puzzle astral projecting his location or something yeah <laughs> it's not made inherently clear <laughs> They do they do go a little bit into um, and actually this is a good transition into the next arc because they do start actually talking about 
in the next arc what even does the millennium puzzle do um because all we've seen so far is it creates shadow games and it summons dark yugi but uh it, it's in the confrontation with shoddy that we start to learn okay so this is like the deeper purpose behind it and and that there's more than one of these millennium items as yeah. shoddy comes from egypt directly mm-hmm. and um which has an amazing panel where yugi runs back to Taya and goes hey i just saw an egyptian like it's <laughs> something you see at the museum and i just thought oh yugi no <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's also Taya's reaction. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. To be fair, they're just being in it. I hope they're just being innocent about it. I mean, how how many days go by that in Japan you would see, you know, an Egyptian yeah. and an Egyptian exhibit, you know? Yeah, it, it is presented that Yugi is is being a, being innocent about it. It is kind of <laughs> it, it comes across strange, but I mean. If you're in isolated Japan, how many times do you get to see an Egyptian in an, exi- in an Egyptian exhibit? Yeah. And uh, it's in this chapter where or this like this is kind of the first real arc of the <laughs> manga um, where all the all the like mentions of the previous like Egyptology stuff concerning the Millennium Puzzle really starts to come to a head, which is weird. Because uh, the author mentions that he explicitly took a trip to Egypt as a reference study for um, before writing this manga, which read to me as I want to expense my vacation. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, mostly. I could see that being a thing. Yeah, but um, we we get some more interesting uh, enlightened for the time commentary of, hey, maybe tomb raiding is not right <laughs> mm. because shoddy's entire purpose is to punish uh tomb tomb breakers you know people who go in and you know rip apart these sacred burial grounds and take these cultural artifacts and it's like yeah okay th- this has a lot of historic and anthropological value it's also somebody's culture and it's also somebody's grave. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So how it, it it does kind of throw in the reader's face. How would you feel if some random weirdos from another country strolled up to the grave, strolled up to like the churchyard where your great great grandnan was buried and dug up her coffin for some weird exhibit of your uh, some some weird exhibit fetishizing your culture in a museum somewhere? They don't they don't really because like the other thing is the um, there's the archaeologist who's doing it for the history. And then there's the guy who funded it, who's obviously just like he's in it for the money and like he's easily evil. Sleazy, greedy douchebag number 10. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But they don't like they don't they don't full on condemn archaeologists, but they are. It's it's definitely not pro archaeology either. It, mm-hmm. it kind of forces you to decide for yourself. They kind of very visibly paint Shoddy as overreaching. Yeah. Because he's, especially in this arc, he is the villain. Oh, yeah. He has a point, but he is hurting a lot of people. And, and people who don't deserve it. People who are just tangentially connected to this. He full-on mind breaks uh, Anzu at one point. <laughs> And and the 
the archaeologist who was just doing it because he loved learning about the past. I think he considered him equally at fault as the other guy. Like, that's the thing is he... Shoddy absolutely does. He said both of them deserved death for what they did, which, considering we've seen people killed over much less in this manga... It's not surprising, yeah. We never see the archaeologist's soul judge. He never plays the the Amit shadow game where his soul is uh, weighed against the uh, Ma'at fell. Yeah, no, because who wants to see that when we can transform him into, into a zombie so Joey can have Scooby-Doo antics the entire thing so he can't see the fact that Yami's transformed. <laughs> that was delightful. I did enjoy that a lot. Yeah, Anzu gets mind broken. Jinochi gets into Scooby-Doo antics. And then Yami's like, all right, quit screwing around. It's time for you to stop hurting my friends. And then Shadi's like, haha, well, guess what? I challenge you to three shadow games. Nani, you can do that. The whole process of it is at first and like the idea of of Shadi overreaching. He just goes into uh, Yugi's soul, who's just like he's just some kid at a museum asking about an artifact. Shadi has no idea what's going on and just like trespassing into his soul. And this like this is the part where we see that Yugi has two souls now. That's mm-hmm. a thing. That's not supposed to be. One is our one is our very uh, childish, innocent cinnamon, cinnamon roll. And the other is the murder goblin, because <laughs> th- this is the return of the murder goblin designed for Yami, <laughs> yep. because he is completely like untainted by Yugi in this moment. <laughs> oh, I see you found the inside of my soul. Do you want to be murdered? I have a game for that. Won't you step into my room? (laughs) And this is, you know, and then that, you know, Shadi realizes, oh, Millennium Puzzle, someone completed it. What does that one do? Yeah, even Shadi doesn't know because the puzzle has, it's been like 3,000 years and no one's beaten the puzzle. Mm -hmm. As much as I love the individual games, for time's sake, uh, ultimately, the conclusion that's come to is that like puzzle pieces come together, the power of the Millennium Puzzle is the power of unity, which sort of goes into the how was Dark Yugi able to find Jinochi? The the Millennium Puzzle draws power from the connections people have with each other. Like all the Millennium item, items by default can create shadow games, but the unique power of the Millennium Puzzle is it brings people together. Which honestly I liked, and again, time for me to tangent into exalted a little bit. The Millennium the Millennium Puzzle would be like a, a an artifact in Exalted. And I could absolute I, I could absolutely see the theme of, you know, unity leading to some really cool powers of teaming up with your buds. So I I particularly enjoyed this one, both because the games that Shadi put uh Yami through were Really entertaining, and I felt like a, a smart boy for figuring out the Amit concentration game. <laughs> and I will really admit, I I never would have solved that one. I would be very dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, we get three games that are very Egyptian, and each of them are actually a lot more like riddles, which I think is just mm-hmm. nice that a, another person setting up shadow games is very different from how uh, Yami sets up shadow games. Yami always does tests of skill, even if the test of skill is sometimes heavily weighed into the favor of the person who knows the trick. Also, sometimes he doesn't do that, but we ignore those. (laughs) Yeah. 
But this, these were brittle. It, it gave me a very um, Bilbo versus Gollum vibe. Mm-hmm. Well, because overall, Buddy's testing his soul. Shoddy has no interest in actually playing a game. That's just assumedly a thing he needs to concede to use this power. So yeah, he does yeah. the bare minimum he has to do to get the result he wants. Dark Yugi enjoys the shadow games. Shoddy is doing his job. Mm hmm. But anyway, um, it's revealed that Shoddy doesn't believe friendship's a real thing and is shocked to find that out. And because of that, loses his shadow game and goes, well, I guess you've got your friend back. I'm going to dip before you decide to get angry that I killed all these people and then leaves. And <laughs> yeah, Th there's there's a lot of moments in this room make me that make me think, OK, can everyone else just not see Shoddy? Because in in the. Yeah. When they're in the good archaeologist's office and like the zombie bit is starting, Shadi is right there and Yugi's the only one acknowledging him. Everyone else is like, whoa, what's up with the professor? Ah. Un unfortunately, I think that's just the mangaka's fault. He he has people just selectively not notice things a lot. <laughs> yes, it, uh. it, it's shadow magic. It makes everything visibly dark mm -hmm. in the uh, in respect to time. I will just briefly go through the next one because I enjoyed it because um, the next one is a Tamagotchi episode, which yes. uh, for the most part does not feel like a chapter of the manga. Nope, not at all. They play a Tamagotchi game. Uh, it's revealed that. The, the main characters are basically side characters throughout of this because it focuses on the villain who has a super rare Tamagotchi that is revealed to be an actual evil spirit that mind controls him into eating all the other people's Tamagotchis. That is never explained. And Yami does not even appear. Yugi wins the fight between the two of them because his Tamagotchi had the power of friendship. Despite the fact other Tamagotchis also had that, it it's never explained why Yugi's Tamagotchi won. It's well, literally just a chapter of Digimon. It makes no sense. It feels like an idea that was half formed and then thrown to fill a chapter. Because, as I said earlier, Yugi and his friends are side characters in this. Mm -hmm. There is no resolution to the plot. The main guy, just after his dark, evil demon thing is defeated by the power of friendship, goes, huh, I'm not mind controlled anymore. Well, time to go away. And, and then it's revealed that Yugi's Tamagotchi, uh, despite the fact it won, was still a regular Tamagotchi. So it's going to die tonight. Here, you yeah. can have extra food pellets. <laughs> like, and, I'm, and okay. I'm going to watch the last night of your life. Um, Oh, and we get the immortal line uh, because we find out that these Tamagotchis can bone in order to create more powerful Tamagotchis of Jinochi going, I, Yugi, let's mate right now. <laughs> Different versions have either mate or breed, and I don't know why you would change that, but okay. We get the idea, guys. We get the idea. <laughs> They're both bad. We get it. You wanted to attract the Yaoi crowd. <laughs> There, there is definitely panels that seem to imply that. I'm not sure if they just made the friendship a little too strong at points. I don't know. I, <laughs> I just wouldn't, you know, ship Jinochi and Yugi. I, I, that's not my ship. Who do you ship in this, Jay? I'm curious. Seriously? <laughs> well, it's canon to do um, 
you know, Honda and Genochi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's canon. That's canon. It is canon. I guess Shizuka doesn't exist. No. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't exist nope. yet. Jacob, what are you talking we about? We haven't read that. Yeah. <laughs> as far as we know, Joey is an only child of an abusive father, of a drunken father, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's Kaiba, Kaiba and Yuvi are the other ship. That's canon too. I'll skim through the next one because that's another basically filler chapter. We get reintroduced to the only other kid nerdier than uh, Yugi at school. The fact we haven't mentioned him yet, probably. No, it's Hanataki. He was introduced in not the finger game, the silence game. He was introduced in the silence game and he and he like tangentially appeared in several others. But this is the first one where like he matters. The first one where he's focused on since the silence game. And basically, um, this kid is an Americanaboo because he loves American comics. I don't know if he's an Amer- if he's an Americaboo or if he's tangentially an Americaboo because that's what his father buys him. He really loves the character Zombri. Yeah, and I, I get that. But I mean, if that's only because his father decided this is something he would really like and he does like it, I'm not saying it's wrong. Well, no, his his father gets him so much stuff because he expressed interest in it. Well, I, f- I feel like it's a little a column A, a little a column B, because yeah. in the flashback, his dad is like, oh, my poor, sickly, weak son. I need to do something to uh, bolster your spirits. Hey, look at this really cool superhero I learned about during my trip to America. And he's like, wow, this superhero is really cool, dad. And dad just latched on to Hanasaki saying that. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think he ever himself like loves... But I mean, I don't think he loves America just because I think he loves the American character, not. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? He loves Zombri, not American stuff. Yeah, I, I feel like the mangaka is Americanaboo and decided to express his love of how cool American comics are through this character who loves this American comic book. Yes. Yeah, who loves Spawn? I yes, mean, Zombri. But <laughs> yeah. Hanasaki is not an Americaboo. He likes the American character. He's like, yeah, I love Superman, you know, but he himself is not like I'm in love with American culture, American everything. I just like this American character kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's Takahashi in particular. Who's the Westaboo. <laughs> I like how we all have different words for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Westaboo includes Europe because there's also people who are obsessed with France and mm-hmm. Germany. I mean, France. <laughs> But I mean, there's America boos who are specifically obsessed with like the United States, America. And then there's West boos who includes America and Europe because there are Japanese who are obsessed with, you know, Western culture in general, Western culture in general, but are specifically like fascinated by the castles in Paris and like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Like a lot of anime mm-hmm. centers. There's a lot of like. French imagery in, in a bunch of different anime. Rose of Versailles is about the French Revolution, and all of Gundam Wing has people in French outfits. Yeah. Like, very, yeah. like revolutionary French outfits. That's something I've noticed. But I wouldn't say, like, if you're obsessed with American hamburgers and American sneakers and American, like, music, that's not Westaboo. That's specifically America Boo. Whereas Westaboo encompasses some american things but also includes europe 
That's fair. Anyway, the the plot for this one's actually pretty simple. Uh, they decide to hang out with this nerdy kid for some reason after his comics are pretty cool. He's got a room full of this stuff. Uh, his father comes home and basically he dresses up as the superhero and decides to run out into the night where it's revealed his dad has paid a bunch of street punks to pretend to lose to him in a fight, um, which then devolves to exactly how you situate would go in domino city they um no you have a lot of money <laughs> they ransom him i don't think they would have done it for a lot of money because they ask for four thousand dollars to not murder his son to not murder a child yeah which he then goes how could i possibly have that much money when he's <laughs> constantly working overseas in america and has enough money to just send a whole bunch of stuff home. And I'm just like, geez. A ton of memorabilia for this one character. But anyway, um, this is probably really easy to gloss over. And I'll just go through it right now because we get Yami come to rescue um, the kid and proceeds to do it because he needed spray paint, which is only important because he then lights the spray paint on fire on the dock they're fighting on, this crowd of kidnappers and him. At which point, at the end, he goes, ha ha, can you escape my mage, uh, my maze of fire? This is a shadow game, by the way, because yeah. I felt the need, they just needed to make it a game somehow. <laughs> There's several panels of Yummy just randomly running around, spray painting the ground, and... Yeah, you know, the bullies for some or the the thugs for some reason just can't catch him as he's juking around spray painting the ground and then he lights it up and it's like it's a maze and it's on fire can you escape with your lives and and then you know they just run off panel and Hanasaki's dad shows up and they just jump into the lake into the river cuz this was on the riverbank <laughs> and then it, it's resolved. Hanasaki's dad admits, "Yeah, no, I, I totally paid these. I totally paid these guys to blues you in a fight in order to bolster confidence. I'm sorry." And chapter's over. <laughs> and then Yami ends the yeah. chapter with, "By the way, he was the one who was really strong. You should have had more faith in your son." I am going to my home planet now, and then the chapter <laughs> ends. <laughs> my people need me. <laughs> And the next chapter, though, is amazing because we get uh, Kaiba's brother. We get Mokuba. I, I Ooh. did not expect to like Mokuba this much, but I really enjoyed him in this manga. Mokuba leaves no like no prisoners. Like, all right. He has actual like teeth this time instead of just being the sorry younger brother. Uh, this is another case of uh, welcome to Domino City because like Mokuba's posse has knives, tasers, and just, you know, the casual Mac 10. <laughs> they hold Yugi up at gunpoint because <laughs> they want to play capsule monster chess, which is like chess, but with RNG on how strong your pieces are. And the board is always different. And Mokuba's the best at it. <laughs> And this was also an entire scheme by him in order to get revenge for Seto. At the end of the chapter, Mokuba does mention uh, Death Tea, because this is where they start foreshadowing one of the best arcs in the series. 
Well, because the the kids are making fun of Yugi for wanting to play capsule monsters because apparently it's a little kids game and they somehow recognize that even though Yugi is a midget, he's a, <laughs> he's a high schooler. And Yugi says the immortal line of real gamers don't care about age, <laughs> which is hello. Sm- hello, Super Smash Brothers community. How are you over there? <laughs> <laughs> also sort of interesting because the only thing we've seen of capsule monsters because it's like dual monsters obviously became such a juggernaut the only thing we saw of capsule monsters that i can think of is the game capsule monster coliseum for the playstation 2 absolutely spectacular game by the way that's interesting because capsule monsters gets like equal cover to dual monsters in these early Mm -hmm. chapters we've read they are games on par with each other uh, I, I did kind of like Capsule Monsters for um, the sort of more it's not necessarily real time strategy because it's still turn based. It's it's more it plays kind of more like a like a like a like a team builder sort of game where you have your randomly chosen monsters. You have your randomly or a war game. That's it. <laughs> like uh, like Warhammer, where you have your randomly generated squad of of dudes and you have to clash and whoever has the last dude standing wins. And my favorite part about both of the capsule monster matches is that Mokuba rigs it so that he gets high level monsters and Yami wins by gimmicking him each time. (laughs) (laughs) There's no heart of the cards. There's no random shadow game BS. He just outplays them. He outplays him with stupid gimmicks because uh, the way he wins in the first encounter is one of Yami's monsters has the ability to uh, go in a straight line and kill any other monster that he that it encounters in that straight line. And so Yami tricks Mokuba into lining up all of his dudes. So for just the ultimate one shot pentakill play, <laughs> which kind of kind of implies that Mokuba maybe isn't as good at capsule monster chess as he keeps claiming. One has to wonder, do his friends let him win? Well, he's <laughs> apparently like the uh, country champion or something in capsule monster chess. But but the way he plays seems to imply he just buys the best monsters because every time he attacks. Yeah, like he he attacks by having the best monsters is the only thing he does. Yeah. Which is also how his brother plays dual monsters, actually, is I just have the best monsters strategy in a card game. Yeah, that's, that's sort of the problem with especially early dual monsters. It, it like a lot of cases, it's just like stat sticks. It has a bit of a problem of uh, the way that Forbidden Memories works is it's just my numbers are higher. This is this is the point where they really start building up Death T because we have a bit of an interim chapter where it's Genochi focused. Um, but like the meat of that chapter is also okay Kaiba is still around and he's even better that like they they really build up how powerful Kaiba is like he has the high score in every um game in uh Japan or something Mm -hmm. um and uh basically the game in this is Joey street boxes a guy with a knife in his mouth and breaks his jaw and leaves him in an alleyway welcome to Domino City (laughs) 
yeah, that's it's not even a shadow game. It's just uh, street violence. And then um, while the two are celebrating, they get um, basically black bagged into a car by someone asking nicely, but with the strong implication of get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is another thing that where and Kaiba never really loses this. Like if he wants something, he makes it clear. I'll play by the rules. I'll I'll you know, I'll play the game because you're supposed to. If you don't play by my rules, I will just kill you. Yeah. I want to win the right way for my own pride's sake, but I will just kill you if you don't play along. Yeah, his father set a poor precedent. We have a we have another uh confrontation with Mokuba and um we have a dinner Russian roulette where some of the food is poisoned. Can I just bring up the absurdity of the fact that they play this game where Joey gets poisoned and is about to be killed. And then they proceed to spend the the night very comfortably and enjoy breakfast the next day. Obviously, they're being held there, but that's never really it's implied more than anything. But they are very comfortable for the life and death situation they're in. That's sort of that's sort of a bit in with the like the two faced version of Kaiba that is so foreign to like the more famous version of him where it's like he's he's actively trying to lull them into a false sense of security before he all but literally stabs them in the back. Yeah, but Mokuba kind of ruined that because (laughs) he goes against Kaiba's wishes and challenges them to obviously rigged roulette because i don't think mokuba understands what a fair game is no he definitely does not and basically otherwise other than them eating delicious foods chosen by roulette the only real meaningful part of this is uh it's revealed mokuba's stopping the wheel on non-poisoned things or poisoned things where he wants based on a empty container of syrup that Yami Yugi uses the magic power of the Millennium Puzzle to magically teleport it onto things to attach it to the wheel that breaks the bottle because he apparently takes off his puzzle, (laughs) ties it to the wheel. Here's the thing. I love this because it's one of those ones where it's like you're reading this and it's like this is clearly just building up death tea, so let's get to death tea. But I actually did pay attention this time and the way that it is the way that the panels are set up the point when dark yugi would have taken off his puzzle and put it on the roulette table mokuba was fussing over uh the the switch and like oh i tricked him into thinking it was just an ordinary bottle of syrup mokuba was literally looking away from dark yugi and the panels don't show where the rope would be Uh, until after it's revealed that he's tied the so it's like it's another case where it's like people in domino city just don't notice obvious things because they do they do intentionally cut around uh dark uv's neck so that you can't see that the rope isn't there it's like one of those things where the way the manga is portrayed yes i understand he snuck it off like this but like imagining how he would actually have to do that in action which is why i would kind of be interested to see how the anime portrays this because you don't get that luxury of only having static panels i don't think season zero even did because i i watched a little of season zero and like they turned the one finger game into like a car a a game with like a deck of playing cards and that was kind of the point where i said yeah i'm not gonna watch the rest of this yeah they had to censor all the murder that makes sense so um i don't even know that they do the the roulette thing in the anime and again it's the it's the situation where i think the way that they do it is that they would 
have it be from Mokuba's perspective where it's like focusing on Mokuba fussing over the switch. The real the thing that really got me about um, Yummy attaching the puzzle to the roulette table, uh, which further proves my idea that he's just a solar exult with the larceny skill, uh, is getting that rope over his hair. <laughs> How does he put it on? Forget taking it off. How does he put it on? <laughs> exactly. Also, doesn't he not have the ability to turn into Yami when he's not wearing puzzle? Or is that <laughs> they they do actually go into that idea? Because one thing that's worth remembering, this is actually super important. When Shadi went into Yugi's soul and saw that he had two souls, he did not currently have the puzzle. Yeah, that's true. So they do address how much contact he needs for like various things. It gets brought up later, but like because he also takes it off to uh, as the trigger for the hidden bomb as well. So it's like he doesn't have to be touching the puzzle all the time. But if he's away from it for, for long enough, it'll like it fades, I guess. I mean, yeah, the thing that really got me was Mokuba still eating the poisoned burger. <laughs> yeah, he just accepts his loss. And sure, he probably he knew that they had more. Sure, he probably knew that he had he had goons off to the side who would have the antidote for him, so he would he would be fine. He wouldn't die, but it was very clearly not at all pleasant for him. And also, he's far smaller than Genochi, so depending on what that dosage was, <laughs> he did experience severe convulsions. Yeah, it was anime poison. It just poisons you after a certain amount of time, and then you die. Yeah. yeah. But it's at this point that we get into the best arc, which is a death T. It has been revealed by Kaiba that um, well, also we get a scene revealing that Kaiba has had nightmares like pretty much every single night since he was cursed to no death. Which to mm-hmm. be fair, he experienced death. I'd have nightmares too. No, no. Uh, turns out Yami did wrong by not killing him or going around cursing people who Admittedly, all he really did was stole a playing card that was admittedly valuable, but like eh. the one of the things about Yu-Gi-Oh! where as much as I exalt and defend the series, one of the things about Yu-Gi-Oh! that you sort of have to accept going in is that like rare things are in universe. Like it they they mention that like rare cards, like people sell their houses to get rare dual monsters cards in the universe of the manga. So it's one of those cases where it's like you just kind of got to accept that that's the way things are. It's real world, dumb, but dual monsters has already ruined America and now it's coming to ruin Japan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> A joke on that Domino City's already ruined. <laughs> But we basically get revealed that Kaiba has spent ten billion dollars. For ten billion yen, I it's because uh, it's like it's it's eighty five million. I think is what the the it's a ridiculous amount. It's a stupid. It's amount. an insane amount of money, leading me to believe again. Domino City either has a serious financial problem or does not know what money is. Because any any time a dollar amount is mentioned in this manga, it is wrong by some degree. It's wrong by an order of magnitude. Yeah. Basically, it has been revealed Kaiba has built an entire theme park for his revenge against Yugi. 
And not only one theme park, but also a secret theme park inside the theme park. <laughs> so the outside theme park was just set dressing for the murder theme park. Which, let's be real, Kaiba is extra enough to do that. <laughs> this is Seto motherfucking Kaiba we're talking about here. He is extra enough to do that. The person who went to a public inner city high school seven chapters ago, billions of dollars, and is a CEO of Kaiba Corp. I think that gets explained by the mangaka at some point, but it is very much I was not thinking about it at the time. Honestly, I could see Kaiba like being bored and doing it to like people watch. No, yeah, yeah, Jacob, I'm aware there is probably justification you can make up for it. But it's very clear that Seto Kaiba was a much more popular character. Yes, yes. Oh, that's been explicitly stated. The reason why Duel Monsters is a known thing about Yu-Gi-Oh! is because people really liked Kaiba. And that's why Death Tea happened. And Death Tea was super popular, so that's why it ballooned into what it was. Which is interesting, because as I said earlier, Kaiba in his first appearance is very much a generic horror manga antagonist. Like he he steals what he thinks he can get and then gets punished for it. Like uh, there's also actually another um, I don't know. I don't know if this had a factor into it. But one thing that I remember, I read in one of the extras of the um, the physical copy I have where Takahashi actually said the inspiration of Kaiba was a real person. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but um, apparently there was some collectible card game that was. You know, like it was just some, you know, random card game that didn't last super long. And he was just like talking to uh, like some, you know, vague acquaintance that he had. And he asked to uh, for the person to teach him how to play. And the guy responded, uh, you know, like with a with a huff. Uh, Talk to me again once you've collected 10,000 cards and and just like stormed away. And apparently that was the inspiration for Kaiba, which, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> But basically, Kaiba's whole plan for revenge starts with in the middle of his theme park, he is opened for children because it's Japan. Theme parks are explicitly for children. He has challenged Yugi's challenged, kidnapped Yugi's grandpa to uh, duel him in front of all of these kids. One of the things that's mentioned and this gets this gets addressed more so later, but it is it is. If not outright stated, it's implied here. Kaiba Land was already going to be a thing before the whole Kaiba Revenge Death Tea thing. And like Death Tea was an ad hoc addition off to the side. He still spent $85 million on this revenge plot, which is like very Kaiba, probably about $85 million too much. <laughs> he he uh, built this like death theme park within the theme park he was already going to make. And he's like, Yugi, to uh, water under the bridge that whole, you know, you making me experience death thing. Um, I'm going to let you uh, see the new theme park I'm opening up. And um, they go in and they start having a great time. And like, wow, look at all these virtual reality monsters that uh, Kaiba has. Isn't that interesting? At which point we then get to the duel arena where suddenly Sugoroku is all but literally in a cage in the duel box. And Kaiba reveals that, oh, by the way, this was all a revenge plot. I'm going to kill you now. Starting with your grandpa. Starting with your grandpa. 
the thing that weirded me out was all of the kids there to watch Seto beat up an old man, essentially hero worship the hell out of Kaiba. I have a feeling that a lot of people think that it was like, like people would have thought it was staged. Like it was just a big show. Oh, I don't know about that. Like the conceit behind dead man wonderland. Yeah. Domino city just loves watching people die. It's literal blood sport in a card game. <laughs> because Death T is explicitly stated to have the conditions of death, and we see an audience for that as well. So yeah, I guess it's I guess it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. You whichever one whichever explanation for why people are okay with this, both of them are reasonable. Mm-hmm. So Seto bodies grandpa uh in dual monsters and subjects him through virtual reality to the same death curse that Yami put on him, which I can just buy your magic powers. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. (laughs) Hello, evil Batman. Um, Yugi agrees to go through death tea, at which point Kaiba lets uh, grandpa go. Grandpa's like, here, take my deck. I know I, I got completely bodied with it last time, but there's a gimmick. I mean, a secret to it that you can use to beat Kaiba. When Kaiba rips up the blue eyes, white dragon during death tea in, in like the original story, it is specifically you dare betray me. This is what you get. Like Kaiba is a a creature of revenge through and through every part of death. T was about taking revenge for that one slight that he brought on himself. Mm -hmm. He was talking to the card when he destroyed it. Yeah. Plus dual monsters at this point, (laughs) I a hundred percent believe he could make his deck out of nothing but blue eyes, white dragons, and that would be tournament legal. Yeah. I like how the translation from the monk kept saying that that's the first edition rules. <laughs> yep. But um, it's at this point that it's at this point that we get into the actual death tea. The one thing I wanted to get in before death tea, because I, I don't think it will come up later. I just like the fact that in the background of all this, after rescuing Yui's grandpa, he is then taken away by ambulance and is still dying of his heart attack. But that's nothing Kaiba's in control of. But they're assumedly fighting for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not well explained. <laughs> they they do this metaphor better later on, um, especially because later on they're more inclined to have it be overtly magical when a card game hurts someone. Um, Kaiba doesn't have magic. Yeah, that's sort of the problem. And... Again, the the sort like the idea where heart of the cards only ever comes up in death tea. And again, it's it's one of those ones where it's like you can feel the growing pains a little bit, but that the deck is a representation of Sugoroku. That is that is his soul fighting for his life in metaphor. There is also the real world aspect of Kaiba will not let them leave until they do death tea. And they want to go to the hospital with Sugoroku, but Kaiba is literally holding them hostage at this point. So they do still have to go through death tea regardless. But Mm -hmm. they do this metaphor better later. (laughs) We forget the most important part that in the audience, Honda was watching because he was taking care of his baby nephew, which screamed to me as the mangaka realized, oh, wait, I should probably have the side characters here. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. 
we get Joji, who is the worst. The actual worst. He's pretty bad. He is like a two-year-old who somehow speaks eloquently and is also a perv. Ugh. And also, we need Anzu here somehow. Uh, she got fired from the burger joint. Uh, she's working at Kaibalan. I love she got a job at Kaibaland, yeah. And at which point, seeing this on the cameras, Seto whirls on the guy and goes, Who the hell hired her? She's one of their friends. I love that. That is so funny. Because it's like it's contrived and stupid, but it's a manga. So it's it's one of those ones where it's like that could be a flyover thing where no one pays it. But I love that Kaiba reacts to it like, wait a minute. Who approved this? That reaction is the most modern Kaiba. Like, that is the point I recognized that character as Kaiba, yeah. was him going, this person should be fired. <laughs> <laughs> and by fired, I mean shot. But anyway, we go into the first round of Death T, which is essentially laser tag, which they're faced against elite mercenaries who have weapons that will actually kill them. Meanwhile, Yugi and his friends have regular laser tag gear that doesn't even work <laughs> because Honda makes a crack shot on one of them and it does not register the point, at which point this game is unwinnable. <laughs> the very first game of Death T is inherently unwinnable. <laughs> Oh, and and already, though, Genochi has gone and bum rushed these guys and stomp kicks one of the mercenaries in the face, KOing him, which is very Genochi. Joey is confirmed stronger than an elite. Yeah, Green Beret. That's right. He is mm -hmm. stronger than an elite U.S. Army. <laughs> Probably because the United States has already converted to dual monsters as their preferred method of solving world <laughs> conflict yep. <laughs> i believe it i believe it um i i kind of yeah this is this is the case where like kaiba is at his most petty with the laser tag thing well but clearly not because kaiba and mokuba both say later on that they planned for yugi and his friends to steamroll through the first like three stages I don't know why you would assume that when you made the very first stage unwinnable. The thing about it is, from Kaiba's perspective, if Yugi's good enough, he'll find a way out of an unwinnable situation. If he's not and he can't win, the, you know, he made it unwinnable on purpose because he's petty and he wants Yugi dead regardless. If he dies at the first stage, then he wasn't worth the time anyway. There's unwinnable in like a game logic sense. This is unwinnable in how they win it is by brute forcing their way through it. They lucked out by having Taya be their friend. So they ran out of the arena, which I think is weird that that door opened at all. No, they stole an actual gun. That's right. Yeah, they stole they stole an actual gun, at which point apparently apparently Honda is a U.S. trained sniper and, and the quickest gun in the West, because his plan is to walk up to the bad guys, hands raised, and they're like, Heh, I see that they are surrendering. We have clearly won this competition and they put their guard down, at which point Joji, again, might I remind everyone, the two year old on Honda's back tosses the gun into his raised hands, at which point Honda quick draws on this assassin and this soldier <laughs> and beats them at the quick draw winning the death game yeah i'll i'll just go on record um the first stage of death t i think is easily my least favorite because it 
no point feels like they're playing a game. Uh huh. It's very much just brute force your way through. I'm with you there. I will never stop simping for Yu-Gi-Oh, but De- uh, Death T one as least favorite stage that I agree on. Yo, because I can't not. But <laughs> we get to a much better one, in my opinion. Uh, the Horror Mansion, which is that which instead of just one game is a series of mini games, which I think is a bit cheap on Kaiba's part. But it, he's he's Kaiba. He doesn't care. Exceptionally petty and really wants you to be dead. Uh, my personal favorite of the mini games was Genochi versus the Chop Man. Uh, I'm curious what everyone else's uh, favorite mini game in the Horror Mansion segment was just as a serial killer on on payroll well yeah like we've established that not only is domino city a terrible place where like a dozen boy scouts were brutally slaughtered and the killer was never found because kaiba immediately found him and employed him to work in his amusement park which is why I, I disagree with your earlier point, Jacob, that a death that um, Kaiba Land was just planned to be a regular amusement park. No, I think <laughs> it was always planned uh, to be a revenge murder plot. It just wasn't set up for Yugi. Kaiba just has a lot of revenge murder he wants to get around <laughs> to and wanted to be prepared. I I buy that. My eyes have been open to deep lore. Every time I revisit Yu-Gi-Oh, I learn more about it. <laughs> I want to explain why Genochi versus the Chop Man. I really enjoyed it um, because the electric chair ride is it, it's a poop joke. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and finding the exit, I did admittedly like the um, the escape room aspect of that one, but the Chop Man fight. Um, it's another instance where the, where Kazuki Takahashi did a good job of putting the solution right there in front of your face and, uh, in such a way that the reader could figure it out and feel smart about it. Or maybe I'm just saying that because I figured it out and felt smart about it. Uh, because, oh, there's oil on the floor. Hmm. Those are actual flames burning in those sconces. Hmm. Gee, I wonder more arson murder. That's the answer. A lot of people burn to death in this manga. It's really common. I, I like Chop Man not because of the puzzle. I think the puzzle was very much another yeah, a little too obvious. Um, mm. But I really love the panel of the serial killer burning to death in the pile of oil. And we get that classic Yu-Gi-Oh shot of all four friends going like, well, that's really cool. We solved the puzzle. Let's go on to the next puzzle as a man is burning to death behind them. <laughs> Welcome to Domino City. Yeah. Yeah. Like not no one is concerned about this. Not even Joji is concerned about it. And then um after that, we go into stage three. It's essentially just Tetris and is very much um the mangaka going, man, these side characters haven't gotten to do anything yet. I should give them bones to do. And uh, Taya finds out that the blocks are falling into this room in a certain rhythm. And because she's a dancer, she's inherently good at rhythm and knows where the blocks are going to fall down. And then there's a weird line that they say, ah, yes, the computer program they've got doing this must be using mechanisms that are much too complicated for it to be a complicated pattern. And I'm just thinking, Okay, I'll I'll take your your uh, in-universe justification for this, I guess. 
Look, this was the turn of the century. Did they really have enough RAM to properly randomize to dropping the giant death blocks? <laughs> but yeah. But this culminates in um, a really cool moment of um, Honda lifting Yugi up and putting him out the exit when um, Yugi's just like, Honda, come on, you've got to come. We're friends. And he's, I'm sorry, Yugi, I can't. And then reveals his jacket's caught. And it's just like, Christian, take off the jacket. (laughs) And he's like, no, I need to die in a cool way. (laughs) Go on without me. (laughs) To be fair, the way that the jacket gets caught, um, it's in a really awkward position that would bind his arms. I have attempted to take off my jacket in a similar way in less life-threatening situations, and it is a long, drawn-out pain in the ass. So I fully buy that he believed he could not get the jacket off. Honda, as I've learned about him in the manga, would have just brute force ripped it in half because this is a man <laughs> that suplexes other human beings as if they're paper. <laughs> okay, you you pose a good point. Uh, basically, I think this is another case where it's like, medium is a bit of a double-edged sword because like it's a manga so they have time for like these long sentences sort of like the jojo situation where it's like i think it's supposed to be happening faster than that faster than they should be able to get the sentences out like that joke in jojos where like they have the the long paragraph in the middle of a in the middle of a fight sort of thing that's the way i've always like interpreted that and you know I, well, I mean talking's a free action yeah <laughs> yeah talking takes no time yeah that's sort of the that's sort of the perspective i've taken on it and to be fair he does get the jacket off eventually yep just in time to kick some ass yep yeah just just in time to uh <laughs> oh my wamo shinderu behind some mooks <laughs> Which was one of my favorite panels, just because <laughs> he looked like a ghost for a second. So it's like the ghost of Honda has come back for vengeance. <laughs> In the series, I buy it. Yeah, but that is skipping. That is skipping ahead quite a bit because uh, that was stage three. Now we're on to Death T four, which is Capsule Monster Chest two, Electric Boogaloo. Though this is actually a really like the transition between these two is really important because this is also where we get uh, Yugi explicitly um, acknowledging Dark Yugi and and saying to his friends. By the way, I've been blacking out when all the murders have been happening. I think I might be evil. (laughs) (laughs) I love how innocent they're slivered, too. I think I might be evil. (laughs) Will you guys still be my friends? Meanwhile, Taya's got a thought bubble. Wait, another Yugi. Is he possibly the hunk I have inside? Because we get that excellent part when um, Shadi goes into her memories and she has a portrait without a face of a very muscular man. Yeah. That is revealed to be her faceless savior. With a G on it, which I can only think stands for gamer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I enjoyed it personally. But this is the part where um, we see uh, Yugi getting ready to go face Mokuba in the uh, in the capsule monster chest. And he very intentionally transforms into Yami right in front of them. Uh, at mm-hmm. which point, Taya, <laughs> or Anzu, frick, I keep switching back and forth between them. Anzu is like, oh, crap. No, that wait, that is Yugi. Oh, oh, I've got a lot of emotions to sort through. <laughs> and Jinochi's just like, yo, Yugi, that's rad. 
Yo, Yug, I don't care who's inside of you. I'm still going to be your friend. Joey, please stop phrasing. <laughs> don't phrase things like that. Phrasing. Uh, but yeah, basically, we get the capsule monster chess match between um, Yami and Mokuba, which is kind of the same thing because Mokuba does the exact same scheme again of I rigged the machine to give me all good monsters and all him bad monsters. Yeah, it, it kind of even comes down to basically the same strategy. This one is more just a vehicle to explain Mokuba and Seto's backstory, which, you know, I'm fine with. Uh, they swapped it up a little bit in that Mokuba saw Yami's gimmick coming and went to defeat it but yami always has another gimmick up his ridiculous sleeves he always has another gimmick in his tight leather pants and so mokuba ends up losing anyway can we bring up the thing that maybe i just missed this did they ever allude to the fact the evolution space was a thing beforehand or did that just come no. out at the end of ah yes yeah, solution in space the thing we all know about that makes weak monsters strong no <laughs> no that that was explicitly in in the second one and I mean, I think my favorite part about the capsule monster chess match is at the very end, um, it is we get the first instance we see of uh, Yami Yugi's second superpower of any time there is a random chance of something good happens. He always gets it because his monster critical hit a mechanic we just learn about when it's convenient. Yeah, that causes <laughs> yeah. To, to defeat the other monster. Okay, that is not as egregious as it is in the Duel Monsters rematch, but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> at the at the end, Mokuba is subject to the no death uh, penalty game, which Seto explicitly activates despite Mokuba's begging, and Yami saves him from it. Which this is another case where the Kaiba that most people know from the anime would never do that. But like, it's the situation where death tea is where the kaiba that people know is born and you know since mm -hmm. we're moving from uh death t4 into death t5 the dual monsters match you know that sort of like goes into it that um it is worth noting kaiba doesn't actually cheat this time he just you know murders a bunch of people for blue eyes white dragons to put in his deck <laughs> that's hey not hey hey he didn't murder them they committed suicide because they were so distraught <laughs> that's it there is a legal distinction in court for that so that is a fair point <laughs> you think kaiba would go to court that's also <laughs> a fair point this guy has money are you kidding me screw the rules he has money but we uh we do go into after the capsule monster rematch in which mokuba's like Hmm, maybe friendship, though. Uh, we do get uh, the Duel Monsters rematch of Yami versus Seto. And it this is the one from the anime that everyone knows, except they're not in giant like floating platform things. They're they're sitting at a table in a hologram box. And that's something that I have to point out is one of the biggest problems. And like this isn't even a oh, man, the anime is terrible for doing this. The anime is because it's not a comic book it has to be a bit more visual so it creates the dual arenas part of the point of Yu-Gi-Oh is you look your enemy in the face and you have a one-on-one -on -one confrontation with them you look like you look them in the eye and you don't bring other people into it and like when shadow games happen and you know people 
you know, do stuff that's like outside the rules of the game that like that's when, you know, the dark magic, you know, insta kills them. And because of the nature of the medium of anime, they had to do something that was bigger and more visual, but it breaks the metaphor of sitting down at a table and looking your enemy in the eye and settling things in a in a fair way. Like I love the dual boxes. The arenas are cool and everything, but they just don't work for the story that's being told. True, but uh, th- this is the duel that people know from the anime, so we can kind of skip over it. It's Kaiba slowly summons out all the blue eyes, and Yami starts stalling basically until he can get uh, Exodia. But <laughs> Yami's superpower of always getting the lucky draw when re- when RNG happens. Is- okay, let's let's be honest here. Yami's superpower of being able to cheat. Well, I guess. Th- not in this section explicitly because he doesn't even know Exodia is in the deck. He has no idea what these cards he keeps getting are. Yeah, he's just like hand, foot, hand, what? And then he's like, oh, I can't no. even summon this. This isn't a monster. Apparently, the <laughs> winged dragon of the fortress, which is, I, I had this card as a kid. This is a normal, non effect card, but apparently, it has a 35% chance to dodge any attack because it can fly. Yeah, I was about to say all flying creatures inherently have a 35% evasion chance. Because, hey, don't you love evasion mechanics in your card game? No, Hearthstone, I don't. He then immediately gets to counterattack because he evaded and attacks on Kaiba's turn. Um, Yeah. The older, this is the case where a lot of the... And it basically stops after Duelist Kingdom, but they basically treat the card game like it's a tabletop game where if you can say it convincingly, it becomes a rule. And again, that gets into the double edged sword of duel monsters in a table game. The rules are the rules. They explain them. Whereas with duel monsters, you can just make up whatever card you need for whatever plot device you need to have the battle ebb and flow the way that the author wants. And yeah, it got abused. It was ultimately a net positive, but like that's an example of just abusing the fact that the card game works the way the what whatever way the author says it works. Mm-hmm. So yada yada yada. Uh, again, Yami always has another gimmick in his tight leather pants. Exodia is summoned. Exodia obliterate and the classic mind crush. Though to be fair, this is actually. I, I want to point out because the the manga does note this parallel to some extent. One of the cool things is Exodia is another case of pieces coming together, puzzles coming together, a connection being made. So like Exodia being more powerful than the three stat stick cards is again yeah. building a the theme. And I felt that that was much more evocative and powerful in the manga than it was in the anime. I will absolutely give it up for the manga. It That was way better of a payoff than it was in just one episode of the show. And basically, we get um, Yami, who goes mind crush, but then shatters Kaiba's soul and then proceeds to specify, again, in my amazing editor panels I love, after the big full screen panel of him destroying this man's soul an explanation panel afterwards oh by the way i only destroyed the eat of his soul i have always had this power do not question me <laughs> and then mokuba's oh, yeah. just like 
Okay. <laughs> and Kaiba's essentially put into a catatonic state until his spirit can piece together his what remains of his heart. I, lo- I love how Mokuba looks at this. <laughs> Mokuba looks at his brother, like frothing at the mouth, <laughs> just in the middle of this <laughs> field. His arch enemy has done this to his brother. Twice! Twice! Yeah, and he can't see his brother's soul as like a happy child putting a puzzle together. Yugi can see that because he's got magic, but Mokuba just has to believe Yugi did the right thing. <laughs> and he smiles! And he smiles like, my brother will come back to me, a better person. <laughs> <laughs> Let me explain his tragic backstory so you all can feel better. <laughs> Where okay, we get... Okay. Kaiba's backstory, I do I love it. <laughs> I do love Kaiba's backstory. One question I have, because this is like the one thing about the whole Kaiba's backstory thing. How do you cheat at chess? Can someone explain yeah, that? I have thing? no idea. Especially against a grandmaster who thinks multiple moves ahead. The second you do thing that would be cheating would be like, wait, that piece wasn't there. What? So Yeah. And like he's just a sore loser. That's just what it is. <laughs> I don't think Kaiba's backstory needs that he cheated in that moment. Um, Gozaburo beating him into being a terrible person can be where the cheating starts. So here, here's a thing I might posit that makes sense a lot for Gozaburo's character. I think maybe he adopted Kaiba because he saw he was willing to do anything to win and saw him cheat and was just like, good. I want someone who cares about victory. Mm. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah. Gozaburo is a monster, but he is a monster who wants to train a winner mm-hmm. beyond anything else. He actually cared about having an heir. He adopted someone he could mold into a winner, which is revealed when Kaiba goes, Father, I turned all your allies against you. Kaiba Corp is mine now and you have nothing. And Gozaburo looks his adopted son in the eyes and goes, ha ha ha, Seto, finally, I lost our game. And you know what happens to losers? And then he yeets himself out a window to prove a point that losers deserve to die. Yeah, really hammering home that, that lesson there. And the fact that, you know, everyone, well, not everyone, but it's basically insinuated that, oh, Kaiba killed his father. No, he did not. Mm-hmm. Again. Gersaburo really is the proto-endeavor in a way. I just I just love that panel because Gozaburo is genuinely proud of Kaiba for being a ruthless businessman and accepts his loss because losers deserve to die. Throws himself out a window. Yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> Gozaburo didn't want to lose, but he was happy that his heir had defeated him. So he was willing to accept the consequences. And my favorite part of that is actually Seto's response of he smiles with the most punchable grin and says, thank you for teaching me this lesson, father. Yeah. <laughs> after after splatted on the ground. He's such a little bastard. It's insane. We had to have the tragic backstory so you could forgive all the murders as he becomes a main character next star. You don't even necessarily forgive him. The tragic backstory just proves what a a sick he is. And it's like, oh, now I understand why he's like this. This explains the $85 million he spent on on an extremely convoluted death game of revenge. Right. I guess the forgiveness comes from Yami destroying the evil part of his soul. So a good part of his soul remains. 
Uh huh. As tiny as it was. And uh, but that does that does bring us up to where we read to. So I think it's time that we wrapped this up. Actually, the last the last thing that we see is actually Yugi mentioning that this was the first time he remembered what happened when he swapped places. Yes. So yes, it is an important turning point for them. And that's what we off on. And I got to say good. that I know I'm skipping a little bit ahead in our closing thoughts, but I absolutely plan to read more of this uh, because one of my favorite aspects when I watched the anime for kids dub aside was the relationship and the back and forth between Yugi and Yami. I just really enjoyed every time that the two of them interacted and talked with one another. So the fact that that is now thoroughly established as a thing that can happen in the manga really made me want to just keep reading beyond our assigned point. Yeah, I would say based on what I read, I would definitely uh, continue reading this. Um, I have no, I noticed there's a much grittier like dark tone to it that I would imagine would have to keep going on into um, future arcs. I assume it gets cleansed. Uh, the the gritty tone never goes away entirely. The the sanitization mostly happened in the anime adaptation, but there's definitely there's fewer bodies as it goes on. OK, that's fair. And honestly, I'm most excited to see more of the card game because I think his style of writing worked best for that rather than having to explain a brand new game every time, because I think he got stuck in the weeds a lot of times. And that's when you would get the occasional missed episode mm. where it's all built up for a game that wasn't very entertaining. Yeah. That ends in a paper. Yeah. But yeah. I, I would continue reading. Well, we already know if Jake would continue reading because he has several times. Jay, would you, Jay, would you continue reading Yu-Gi-Oh? Um, it's an entertaining series, um, certainly. Um, if I had the opportunity, and if we didn't have such an extensive list, absolutely. <laughs> I hope that we get back to it. Me too. Uh, but getting back to the top of the closing thoughts, uh, favorite character. Uh, mine is a real toss-up. Of course, Seto, because... <laughs> Who doesn't love Seto? He is the smarmiest villain, and I love smarmy villains. But... There's just something about Genochi that makes me want to hug him and punch him at the same time. And I really appreciate that in the character. Um, yeah, for me, picking a favorite character is a bit of a loaded question because I'm so intimately familiar with it. I know what they all become. So for me, like I immediately think, oh, Kaiba, definitely my favorite character. But I really love the Kaiba he becomes after Death T is my favorite version of him. So like curbing that to an extent. And again, I, I mentioned like in this particular read, I noticed Jinochi more. I love Jinochi too. Like I kind of like, I love Dark Yugi. I love Yugi Yugi. But Jinochi really stood out as a character. It just made me smile and laugh. Like he's just so much fun. So I'd say, I'd say of what we read, Jinochi is my favorite character. I guess of what we read, I really like um, Dark Yugi because he has absolutely no characterization for the most part, other than being a tiny murder goblin. And that's amazing. I love murder goblins. <laughs> yeah, no, in a, in a serious answer, um, I actually really enjoyed Honda as I read 
because um, from the like vague osis of Yu-Gi-Oh, um, I know that is honestly kind of patchy until we get to GX. Um, Tristan always kind of just gets forgotten about. And admittedly, he gets forgotten about a lot in the manga. <laughs> Yeah. But he has characterization of being a good friend to Joey and admittedly not really a super close friend to Yugi, but is willing to accept the friendship because Joey's really good friends with him. And I really respect that dynamic of someone who's friends with us, but only because they're both friends with the same guy. And also because while Joey is dumb and gets into a lot of street fights, Honda seems to know what he's talking about when he suplexes multiple people as if they were paper. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honda's got a very realistic uh, friend of a friend dynamic. And even if that, you know, sort of removes him from the plot, it feels very natural when he gets involved in it. I've never really thought of it from that perspective. That kind of puts him in a new light for me. And Jay, how about your favorite character? Um, I'm probably the minority here. I don't really have a favorite character other than possibly Yugi. I like them all. I don't have any, you know, strong favorites one mm. way or another. Now, actually, oh, man, I that... feel that way a little bit, too. Like, Jinochi stood out a little bit to me, but I, I do like a lot of, you know, the cast as a whole. Mm -hmm. Wow. You don't have a husband, though, or a waifu to point out? Or I was about to say. I'm just saying, Yu-Gi-Oh never gave me any husbandos. Damn, no. not 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 even uh, not even uh, leather pimp daddy a time, huh? <laughs> no. Wow. All right. It's the hair. It just doesn't do it for me. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Can't can't uh, can't argue with that. In uh, the favorite game, I've stated multiple times that I really liked the. Um, the ice pick explosive hockey one just because it, it really made it it really made me feel like dark yugi was the king of games and actually had strategy and not just uh hitting god mode because screw you it's my game <laughs> um for me i have always 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 loved the one finger game um and like my second favorite is uh the um the ice hockey, I guess I like it when people get lit on fire. I might be a bit of a pyromaniac, uh, but like I love because of how thoroughly Dark Yugi outplays Convict 777, like th that checkmate is so perfect. Like he had that set up from the beginning. And I, I just love, you know, how like how thorough it is. So I'll go. Uh, my favorite game of all of these, uh, probably a real safe pick, uh, was the original Duel Monsters match in the Cards with Teeth, mm -hmm. because that's when we get the real magic sense to everything of just like, hey, we're going to play a regular card game in our inner city high school, but magic. And you have agreed to the shadow duel with me where the cards will come to life. And also, because you stole this one card, it won't work. And I loved that because it yeah. was very much about to be beat until it was just like, but you can't win. You're a bad person. The weight of your soul is heavier than a feather. So you cannot win this Egyptian shadow game. What? No. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not how this works. Also, the fact that it was constantly mentioned, by the way, the loser will die. Do you agree to those terms? Of course, I agree to those terms. By the way, when I said the loser will die, I was lying. <laughs> I can do that because I'm the Pharaoh. 
you'll only kind of die. Mental torture. And it's it's the amazing cross between like actual Yu-Gi-Oh people know and murder goblin you perfectly combined <laughs> into playing magic into at one. school. And I loved it. Cards with teeth is definitely classic. And Jay, what was your favorite game? Hmm. My favorite? Well, I wouldn't really call it a game. My favorite was just how redonkulous the whole spray paint maze was the yeah. maze of fire. <laughs> I also wouldn't call that a game. <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> I was just zigzagging randomly. <laughs> no. Yammy just shouting, by the way, it's a game. My powers totally work now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm hundred percent with you there. Yeah, he was doing the bare minimum to activate his shadow game powers. Yeah, it's like everything else was very elaborate, very like there was thought behind it. And then this comes out of like right field. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> no. People have to accept the challenge. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. So that's my favorite moment. That was pretty great. All right. Thank you for listening to the over manga cast, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and review so you can always uh, catch us the next time that we uh, get way too deep and in depth and talking about uh, our favorite Japanese comic books and let us know what you think of them. Uh, check out our Twitter at over manga cast, where you can see our shit posts of us screen capping uh, various uh, hilarious out of context moments from our weekly reading. And next week's reading is going to be My Life as a Villainess, chapters 1 through 29. Or as Jake describes it, the adventures of the dumbest puppy who seduces everything with a heartbeat. Love it. I'm so excited. Our first steps into the isekai genre, and hopefully our last. <laughs> no, it won't be. We're going there. to read ReZero one way or another. I promise. <laughs> ReZero isn't even a manga. <laughs> I know, but I want to suffer, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> good night everybody anyway we'll see you next week with that good night, good night. everybody good night